When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. in their masses Get out of the way Just like witches at black masses Get out the way, bitch Get out of the way Evil minds that plot destruction Get out of the way Sorcerer of death's construction Get out the way, bitch Get out of the way In the fields of bodies burning Get out of the way Machine keeps turning. Get out the way, bitch. Get out the way. Death and hatred to mankind. Get out the way. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Go! 
Folks, it is so bad it's good with Ryan Bailey. I am Ryan Bailey. This is your Monday episode. We are about to have a week ahead of us, aren't we? 
So folks, welcome. We've got some good news and we've got some bad news. I think in the end, it's all good news. The bad news is Sophie Ross will not be joining us on today's program. Uh, Unfortunately, turns out Sophie has a lot of friends and she had a wedding to go to today. So she will be on Tuesday's episode. We'll do a pop culture roundup then, uh, where of course we'll talk about Kim Kardashian doing Saturday Night Live. I think that we'll talk about that. And I think that's Kind of the only pop culture story that's happened. But we'll definitely talk about that. But you know what? I wanted to give you guys something so amazing to make up for it. It's not Sophie, but it is Emily D. Baker. Now, a lot of you guys reached out to me and said, you got to have Emily D. Baker on. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And this has been months in the work. And we finally made it happen. And you guys, she did not disappoint. She has her own podcast, her own YouTube channel. And she is the real deal. She's a former prosecutor, guys. And we go into it all today. We go into Britney Spears, we go into Jen Shaw, we go into Erica Jane, we go into Josh Duggar, we go into the Landry case, and man, she is just so smart, so witty, has so much empathy, and it was just a really amazing conversation, and I just love those when you're dealing with another podcaster that is just way smarter than you, and it was just a bit, I I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I think if you already know Emily, you're going to even be a bigger fan of hers, and if you don't, you're going to be a fan after today. I can guarantee that. So Sophie will be back on Tuesday, but I wanted to give you even more than that. I said, what can knock these guys off their coal mining asses? And I said, you know what? Let's do a full recap of Vanderpump Rules Episode 2, Season 9 from this past week. Let's let's do it. A lot of you guys seem to enjoy my Vanderpump Rules recap, solo recap this past week. So let's do it again. We've got Brock, Sheena's boyfriend. Hey, what's going on? I'm Brock. Yeah, it turns out I'm a man of many voices, and I think we've all realized that. Uh, yeah, I'm not just a pretty face. I can do voices as well. Um and uh, you guys, was it a good weekend for you? Was it? I and so sorry about the er, the the song with all the cursing. Uh, but sometimes you got to just say, "I'm going to make this week my bitch," and I got to I got to play something that is going to really inspire these people to go out and kick ass this week. And I think that song, that mashup, did it. And a lot of people said, "Hey Ryan, will you play more rock?" So that that mashup had Black Sabbath in it, and it had the Ramones. So that's that is rock and roll. That is the history of rock and roll right there. Remember, folks. Tell your teach your kids rock and roll. Don't just te- teach them hip hop and R and B and pop. Teach them teach them rock and roll. Let them get freaky deaky with it. You know what I'm saying? Because I do. I'm a I'm a bad boy. I'm the bad boy of podcasting right now. You know, you. I mean, you guys already knew that. Like right now, my Toyota Corolla is sitting outside my house. Guess what? It's on empty, and I have no plans of filling it up. Bad boy. Yeah, I've got an American Express bill due this week. And I don't know if it's due on Tuesday or Wednesday, and I'm not going to find out. Bad boy. That's right, folks. I'm who your mom and dad warned you about. The guy from the wrong side of the tracks. The guy who podcasts. That's right. Ryan Bailey, bad boy of podcasting. Um, we talk a, bit, a little bit about that on the Patreon this week. Um, I did full recaps of Real Housewives of Potomac and Real Housewives of Salt Lake City over on the Patreon. If you are so inclined to join, hello, baddies. That's what we call ourselves. Don't make fun of us because we are all bad in that group. We'll cut you. We don't care. That's that's uh, that's a promise. 
So if you want to join up a very unruly group of people, uh, go on over to patreon.com forward slash so bad it's good. And also, thank you so much for the people still leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really does help if you can uh, leave five uh, five star review. That would be great. If you don't like it, please just move on. Move on. Like there is, I can I can direct you to a thousand podcasts. Also, um, I was on Sarah Galley's podcast, Andy's Girl. She was on my. We did a pod swap where she was on last week and I was on hers this weekend. And I think we had a really great conversation. So check her out if you're in the New York area. Check out her live show. That's going to be coming out next Sunday. And also, I'm on the Wayne Holtz podcast, which I believe comes out Monday night. And it's like a 30-minute podcast. And he was just really nice. He I asked a lot of cool questions. I talked about a lot of stuff, just about personal stuff that I have, I, I have not. He was just great. So I recommend that as well. I'll put that on my Instagram when it is uh when it's when it's out. <laughs> you guys, I did it. I uh I started watching the Squid Game. And guess what? I love it. I'm just like everybody else, you know, like there is not, I, I, I hate when you completely fall in line with everybody. You're like, I hope I hate squid game. It's a show on Netflix. You guys, it's nine episodes. I'm five episodes in and I don't think I can get back to my actual life until I finish it. It's a Korean show, but you can read the subtitles and you can also dub it in English. And it's, it's really a horrible, like the acting is a little, you gotta, you gotta catch up to it, but I really love the story. So, and it also makes me feel, feel good to watch something that's not reality show. Like I'm a part of this, this world, you know? <laughs> um, let's see. What do we got? Oh guys, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, re, uh, the reunion part one coming out on Wednesday. I believe I'm going to be going live with Dana Wilkie and I'll, I'll put that on my Instagram. Uh, she wants to go live with me about the, the first episode. So that'll be happening. And I've got, I shit you not, you guys, I got about like 15 interviews on other podcasts and my cat podcast in this next three days. So it is going to be busy, but, uh, I hope I can get through it. I will. I think I, can, I will get through it. Um, and I'm just, I'm fired up right now. I woke up today, you guys, and it was, the sun was shining, the birds were chirping. And this only happens like a handful of times where I had hope in my heart. Do you guys ever do that where you wake up and you're like, damn, is it? Am I what? Am I in a good mood? And I was, I was in a good mood. It was very exciting. So uh, I'm very excited about that. Also, remember, if you if you don't like music, if you don't like having fun, you can skip through that beginning song, just use the timestamps. And you're like, Ryan, you should have told me that at the beginning. But I hope, hopefully you guys know by now. Uh, just use the timestamps. You can skip to that. You can skip right to Emily D. Baker. You can skip right to the Vanderpump Rules recap. These are, This is going to be a great show. This is an overall experience, folks. This is a show that will knock all of us on our coal mining asses. This is the show that I want to be remembered by for the rest of my life. So let's get into it right now. Let's get into Emily D. Baker. Then we'll take a little break for some commercials uh, for my sponsors this week. And then we'll go right into a Vanderpump Rules recap recap and it is wild folks it is a solo recap i do horrible voices and i talk about this season of vanderpump rules you don't get better than that folks and then tuesday you're like ryan what then tuesday you're gonna get sophie ross and then wednesday you're gonna get another show thursday another show and friday beverly hills reunion recap baby so let's get this started now i love you guys let's have the best week ever let's kick this week in the ass and i will talk to you guys on tuesday oh and also if you get a chance, if you like this, tell your friends, you know, this started small and we're getting bigger, but tell your friends, we got, we got room in this, in this big bus for everybody, you know, like let's, let's, let's say we're small, but mighty. So thank you guys so much for everything that you do for the pod. And hopefully, uh, you know, you can get a chuckle or a laugh through all of this. And, uh, but Emily D Baker, you're actually going to learn stuff. So yeah, let's just get to her Emily D Baker.
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to So Bad It's Good. Today is such an exciting day because there is a guest that uh, I've been wanting to have on forever. Uh, and I was made aware of this guest by her millions. Yeah, I said millions of listeners, of fans from her Instagram, from her podcast to her YouTube channel. Uh, she really is uh, what she calls everyone's favorite legal commentator. And we get to talk to her today. Uh, she was a prior LA deputy district attorney. I mean, that's insane. I was listening to our podcast and we even this week got a live reaction to Jamie Spears being taken off the conservatorship, but she goes into Erica Jane. She goes into Jen Shaw. She goes into the Duggars. I mean, not, there is not a stone left unturned. So let's just get into it because I have so many things to talk to her about. Emily D Baker. Welcome to the show. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I, I think the reason I am everyone's favorite legal commentator is because I cover the stuff we all want to talk about, which is pop culture. And yes, there's lots of legal happening in the rest of the world, but there has never been so much legal happening in the pop culture space. And there aren't that many lawyers just breaking down the facts of it and then getting into where the shade and the tea of it all also reside because <laughs> that is litigation these days is not like when I was in law school over 15 years ago. The lawsuits and the filings have juicy stuff sprinkled into them, particularly in the Britney case. We're seeing Matthew Rosengart, her new lawyer, coming out swinging in his footnotes and everywhere. He's just he's here well, for uh, it. And I'm here uh, for it, too. I was talking about Matthew Rosengart and everybody was celebrating the fact that he was able to do in such a short amount of time what her legally appointed counsel couldn't do in 13 years, which I find fascinating. But with the pop culture element being thrown in, I also noticed that we all of a sudden have made uh, Matthew Rosengart like, you know, an icon. People are making memes oh, yeah. like he's Savior, a, he's, Matthew he's... Rosengart. And I'm like, <laughs> OK, let's just let him do his job. We can celebrate him afterwards. Let's not yes. make him this, you know, Christ figure yet, you know? Oh, he already is. I mean, I see it on my channel. Um, we we see names from Rosen God, Rosen Goat, <laughs> Rosen Daddy, um, like Rosen all Dad. of it, all of the things. I I pontificated on Twitter that when Brittany gets married to Sam, I would love to see Rosengart walk her down the aisle because he seems to be the only one that has her best interest in mind at this point. And I mean, yes, he is getting paid to do so. This is his client. So, well, I guess let's start with Brittany because uh, we did get your reaction to something that you said that you didn't think you would ever actually uh, see happen is, is Jamie Spears getting removed from the conservatorship. But where are we in this battle, which it really is a battle? There is one step that has been made now. What are the other steps left to go? Where do you see this going? Uh, I was reading more about Lou Taylor today, even being involved with the Kardashians. How many more stones are left unturned here? Oh, we're, we're at the beginning. So I feel like the 13 years of this conservatorship has been um, Brittany trying to push a boulder up a hill. We just crested the top and it's now rolling down the other way. But that's a 13-year mountain that we have to undo. James Spears getting suspended in this way was a win all the way around. A lot of people were frustrated, like, oh, I thought Britney was free. I thought this was the end of the conservatorship. But the reason it matters is because the subsequent conservator of the estate, and there is a temporary conservator of the estate appointed, gets everything. All of the files, all of the attorney-client communications from James Spears and Vivian Thoren and his four other law firms that he works with, they get all of the files. So now a real thorough investigation can start. What's really interesting is one of the extra powers that was added was the ability to enforce or waive NDAs. So the new conservator of the estate oh. can actually waive 
prior NDAs, if people need to come forward and, and talk about what's going on, it's really a good step. Matthew Rosengart's a former prosecutor. I may have bias. I'm a former prosecutor. The thing about prosecutors is we're nosy and we're kind of dogged. So he is going to turn over all stones to see what was going on in this last 13 years because that's what his client's asking him to do. He said he wants this conservatorship to end in the fall, but even when the conservatorship ends, it's still going to be an investigation going forward into what happened over the last 13 years if her money was misused. Her dad as conservator of the estate had a 47, over $47 million bond. So if monies were uh, going to the wrong place, then there is some recourse. Yeah, A, it can be criminal, but B, there's some recourse. The recordings and the conversations about the recordings, the fact that we now have leaked information that her court-appointed attorney was like, please tell me you're not recording, and then didn't seem to follow up on it much more (laughs) is horrifying to me. Um, I appreciate the, the reporting that's happened that they have uncovered so many documents that we as a public haven't seen because there are still a lot of things sealed on the court records. So Sam um, Ingham tried to remove James Spears, asked to remove James Spears, and the court shut him down every single time. But he is not as concise and as forceful of an attorney, particularly in writing, as Matthew Rosengart is. And I think that Matthew Rosengart came in unafraid that he wasn't going to get paid. He's like, no, we're going to do our job. Where Sam Ingham, I wonder if there was concern because he is the court-appointed attorney and his payments got approved by the conservator of the estate, I mean, James Spears. It, it, it's mind-blowing when you think of, I always talk about Britney Spears having to pay for the people against her. All of those bills is just so frightening. But a lot of questions I always get asked, and I'm not a lawyer, so I always just lie and pretend I know the answer. But, what, you know, <laughs> per- in terms of- Perfect court, tactic. In, in fact, uh, I used to work at Girardi Keys. Um, uh, I'm not a lawyer. I play one on my podcast. It's play, perfectly yeah, fine. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, by the way, you have to be a lawyer nowadays to follow Bravo and all of this stuff, which is, I wonder- how That's what I'm lawyers, here for. But I wonder how many lawyers this has created. You know, like I wonder yes. how many lawyers, which, but um, what does court appointed mean? Does it mean like Sam Ingham? Did it mean he wasn't worth his salt because he was court appointed? What is that like? Is it mean he was bottom of the barrel? A lot of people ask me, well, what does court appointed mean uh, precisely in terms of the Britney Spears case? So not necessarily. I hate to dog out court appointed counsel just because they're court appointed. There's a list of generally private attorneys for probate that the court has already approved of that the court has worked with, and they are eligible to be appointed by the court as selected counsel. Early on in this conservatorship, and wrongly so in just my opinion, the court determined that Brittany was not of the right mindset or did not have the capacity to appoint or hire her own attorney. So even when attorneys showed up in court that Brittany had asked for, the court looked at them and said, no, Brittany doesn't have the the mental capacity to hire you, so you can't be hired by her. We're appointing court-appointed counsel. Now, we've seen others say that this court-appointed list in the probate courts in LA is rife with problems, that it's this hand-selected few that just go along nicey-nice with the court and don't cause too many problems, and that that's how you become court-appointed. But we also see this in criminal cases. Public defenders are essentially court-appointed attorneys in the criminal context, and lots of them are fantastic attorneys that 
do their job because that's how they want to do their job. So Sam Ingham's a private lawyer that is on this list that allows the court to appoint him and has other clients. I mean, even though he's making over three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a year from Britney, he also has other conservatees that he has been appointed to deal with and other probate estates when somebody has passed that he's been appointed to deal with. I mean, can you imagine the other conservative uh, conservator estates he's he's dealing with now? You know, like, hey, are you the Britney Spears guy? Are you? The I guy mean, that, like- I would definitely ask some questions, but he also. <laughs> Though I don't always think he did a great job, Sam Ingham is one attorney up against four different law firms that James Spears is paying for with the conservatorship. There are things that I don't love that Sam Ingham did or the way that he did them, Um, but also he was up against a swath of attorneys on the other side, and every time he brought something up that Brittany wanted done, he knew it was going to cost her hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight against herself because her dad kept doing that, and that had to be a consideration of is it worth it or are we going to try to go along to get along well there was an estate valuation done and it was what what was that like 60 million dollars and i was like whoa whoa i know that's an insane amount of money that i'll never make in my lifetime but 60 million dollars to an icon to a legend a living legend to me that was like a pittance i was like wait 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 how is it only 60 million dollars but then if you add up all of this stuff she is paying out on a yep. daily to weekly basis, and that's not even because she can't personally shop for herself. She can't buy even a pair right. of Skechers if she wanted to. And the thing is, this is all done under the guise of helping somebody's mental health, when in reality, we've seen that this has affected her mental health in such a poor way over the years, and especially these last three years. This is always a very odd way to do a conservatorship. I mean, a typical conservatorship is really someone who is is significantly mentally Im- or mentally impaired and sometimes physically impaired cannot care for themselves, cannot arrange for food and clothing, cannot keep a roof over their heads, cannot do the day-to-day to the point where they need all of their legal rights stripped and you treat them as if they're like a five-year-old. They, You make the decisions for them. You talk to the doctors for them. You decide what they're eating. It really gives you the control over someone's entire life. And that is very, very unusual with somebody who is a functioning adult. We are allowed to have mental health struggles without all of our liberty and autonomy being stripped from us. And Brittany was not allowed that. I have mental health struggles and I'm allowed to choose what medicine I take with yep. my, my psychiatrist. I mean, I, I'm allowed to have these choices to see yep. what works for myself and my person. And what's so interesting is that this has been such, a, I guess, sh- shrouded in mystery, but it is all starting to become clearer and clearer as we go on. And by the way, I feel like we're going to get 30 more documentaries in the next three months. To I get mean, like, probably. And they each have like one new piece where you're like, okay, that fits with that piece. But it is really fascinating that this really did happen. I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with Brian Wilson uh, from the Beach Boys yes. back in the day. And he had a therapist that kind of took him under his wing and then started controlling everything about Brian Wilson. But it's fascinating. It's like this modern day Brian Wilson taken to the you know, billion. Right. Because she's still working. And the thing that's so when I started looking at this conservatorship, there is a, like the lawyer side of me is like, okay, maybe in 2007, they thought she was susceptible to undue influence and that people could talk her out of her money or take advantage of her in some way. And maybe for a year or two or three, there was some outside help needed to help Brittany stabilize through a crisis that I think a lot of us would have felt given everything that she had going on in the public scrutiny. But as you start to look at the fact that her dad was conservator of the person and the estate, 
And some of the boundaries that were put in to protect Britney were if the conservator of the estate wants to sign a contract, it has to be okayed by the conservator of the person. Well, he was doing both. And then he was negotiating a cut of it himself when she was doing these Vegas tours. Yeah, it was like 2% of all the, yes. uh, yeah. I mean, 2% for, of all, all the merchandise and for the everything. actual sales, yeah. For, for he's not the business manager. She had a business manager. She had a tour manager. So there was no reason he should have been negotiating in his own self-interest because that directly goes against the point of a conservatorship, which is not for someone to benefit themselves, but to protect a person that needs to be conserved rightfully needs to be conserved, which I don't think Brittany does and did. And then he's paying himself a salary. Most conservators are paid hourly. It's like, oh, hey, it took me 25 hours to review the accountings this month. So you get paid for 25 hours. He's paid himself $16,000 a flat salary for years, plus rent for an office space so we can be the conservator and have an office space, which I would love to see. I've never seen documents of where this office space is at another $2,000 a month. And then he's approving payments to Lou Taylor, which is why she's coming into this just with a rubber stamp without evaluating or negotiating a better deal on behalf of Britney's estate. He's just spending her money without care, which is not what he was supposed to be doing. Is there any possibility since Lou Taylor's husband, uh, I believe, is uh, heavily into uh, religion? I believe he's he, he's a part of a church. Is there any way that they could be funnel? I know this is like rumor based, but is there any way he could be they could be funneling Britney's money through a tax free exemption uh, through church, like through their church? Like, I mean, I don't know the Lou Taylor thing. The thing that really creeped me out was seeing that photo of Jamie Spears baptism in 2017 in the Jordan River with Lou and her husband. And Britney wasn't there, mind you. Britney was not. at. Yeah you know, the baptism of her father, uh, you know, but, but Lou Taylor was, I mean, that is so creepy to me, you know? Well, but should you, should the conservator of the estate be self-dealing with people that they're that deeply connected with is hugely problematic. Exactly. (laughs) And, and we've seen allusions to the fact that they were going to try to pray over Brittany and fix her with prayer. And I'm like, yeah, look, I, I still suspect, and I am not a medical doctor, but Brittany had a lot of public scrutiny and two children close in time. If she wasn't dealing with some postpartum hormonal fluctuations that a good doctor could have just taken care of for her, had her family not been trying to completely control her, um, it, this all could have gone a different way. I think her family meddling um, might have caused some of these problems as well, but that's from an outside perspective. Well, I mean, I think that's a pretty good, <laughs> I mean, that's a good. It's pretty- just. It's outside speculation, but we'll we'll see. The looking into Lou Taylor is definitely going to happen. But accounts were kept and should have been kept because there were always outside companies that were doing the books too, reportings to the court. So if money was moving, I'm confident that Rosengart and the forensic CPAs that he will undoubtedly have look at all of this will uncover it. It takes a lot to hide money. And people who think they've got, well, we've got the rubber stamp of the court might not have been as savvy at hiding money as somebody like, I don't know, maybe Jen Shaw. Well, okay. So that, I mean, this is kind of a perfect segue too, because uh, I, I hate to say it, but I don't really have a lot of trust in the legal system after I found out, you know, Girardi was able to like with the state bar association for four decades, like why are we supposed to trust that they're turning over all of these documents. Like my thing is, if I'm a criminal, you you tell me to turn in documents, I'm going to be like, okay, yeah, sure, wink. I'll sure. give you twenty five percent of the documents. I'm throwing the rest in the shredder and throwing. We're going to end. We're going to end on this shit real yeah, quick. I mean, but I'm saying, like, yeah. just because there's a court order doesn't mean anybody has to like tell the truth. You know, I 
hope that because a lot of those communications went to so many people, like a lot of the emails would have gone to not just James Spears and his lawyers, but also lawyers for the conservator of the person, Andrew Wallet's lawyers, you'll be able to track it back eventually, hopefully, if things go missing. So, I mean, again, I trust somebody who's used to digging for that kind of stuff to be able to look for it. And that's why having a former federal prosecutor look at this becomes a really interesting thing. This is not just a civil attorney that's done civil their entire life. This is someone who looks at things from a criminal perspective. And that's, I think, a really good thing here. Matthew's going to be people's sexiest man of the year, isn't he? He's going to be. I mean, I think he might be. Man of the He's, year. He's going to be. I, this is not the scrutiny that this lawyer ever wanted, but he's going to get it. He's also uh, he's been very press savvy, I think. And he's been very mindful, including wearing uh, that pink tie coming out of court when he spoke to the press after the hearing in court um, on the 29th. He's been very mindful to say, look, Brittany did this. And the truth of the matter is Brittany speaking in court on June 23rd and that audio being leaked is what changed everything for this conservatorship. And he's been very mindful to say, unlike other lawyers in the media, he says, look, my firm and I came in late and we were able to get this done, but we did this because Brittany stood up. Brittany's the one who has been advocating for herself. We were just able to kind of carry it across the finish line. And he's been very good at keeping the focus on what matters And he's done that in his court documents, too. He hasn't gotten into the, well, a little bit of mudslinging, but he hasn't gotten into all the mudslinging. But but I mean, I think that's kind of, I kind of like that. I kind of like it. I like it, too. And and you you can do (laughs) mudslinging if you trust the man slinging the mud. Like, okay, this is also another question that a lot of my listeners want to know, especially through you, talking about mudslinging. We bring in somebody like Ronald Richards, who loves to sling a lot of the dirt and the mud on Twitter. And and I hear that you have opinions on Ronald Richards. Now, Ronald Richards... Ronald Richards came on this podcast a couple of weeks ago and he was shouting at many points and I had never spoken with the man before. And I was very curious and, and uh, about all of this stuff, but why is what Ronald Richards on Twitter doing, uh, you know, cause we don't see Matthew Rosengart on Twitter going, Hey, Jamie, I see you on your monster truck. You know, like what, how do you explain somebody like Ronald Richards and what they're doing and trying to collect Erica Jane's money and using the social media aspect? What, I mean, I guess that's the question. Explain Ronald Richards. Good, yeah, right. I appreciate that question. Um, it, you're definitely seeing two different tactics in, in high profile cases here. What you're seeing from Rosengard is occasionally responding to things in a footnote, um, responding he came out playing nice. And then Vivian Thoren in her filings went after Britney's mental health, went after Lynn Spears and others. And that's kind of what uncorked Rosengart bringing in a little more of the stingers. It wasn't until after Jamie's response that really threw Britney under the bus that you started seeing Rosengart referring to Jamie Spears as an alcoholic in papers, um, calling him not financially savvy, referring to the domestic violence restraining order against Britney's children. That didn't come out until shots were fired. Vivian should have known she was going to get the smoke on that and her client should have been advised. And I'm sure it was, hey, if we do this, this is going to come back tenfold. I think James Spears just doesn't care. Um, So you see a definitely a different tactic of working with the media. We don't see Rosengart leaking things to the media. He gives statements that are concise to, uh, it seems the same statement to all media outlets. And then it goes back to work. Ron Richards has definitely pulled 
the Erica Girardi case onto social media in a very different way. I don't always agree with everything he's done. I said it every time I say it, I get an email telling me why I'm wrong from Ronald Richards. Um, so <laughs> he and I don't always see eye to eye on these things. And that's fine. We're lawyers. We're not always going to agree. I didn't like the way he was going after Erica just from a commentary standpoint before he was involved in the case, but I don't have to agree with everything somebody does. He goes hard on the cases that he covers. He wants to, you know, he insults people in a different way. He goes after some of the other commentators when they call him out uh, in a personal way. I don't love that. That's not how I like to engage, but that's his choice. You can say what you want. Twitter's Twitter. Once he became involved in the case, it was a little harder for me. It's not the way I would comport. When I watch lawyers that are savvy with the media, uh, it's normally not such a, you know, hammer everybody over the head approach. It's a, hey, did any of you see this happen? Can you, do you have a clip of that? Or did anyone, does anyone know what this company is? Or, Hey, can you tell me more about Mikey? Like using social media and using the fandom of Bravo to give you information and they will, but he's not asking questions. He's also directly attacking Erica. And some of those attacks feel kind of personal in the way that I read them. And again, it's Twitter. Um, and I don't think at the end of the day, that's going to bring more money into the estate. I think at the end of the day, it could end up with Erica spending more money on her legal team to deal with what's happening than money that's going to go back into the bankruptcy because they're still fighting it out. Remember with Erica, there's another special attorney assigned to the bankruptcy of the person, Boris Trazion, and you haven't heard anything from him about him. They seem to be working behind the scenes on that side of the bankruptcy to resolve whatever co-debts Erica might owe with Tom Girardi. And we haven't heard word about it. So is there a chance Boris is like, damn it, Ronald's on Twitter again. Oh, no. <laughs> or or loves the distraction. And it's like, fine, everybody look over there. We're oh, going to do our good. work over here. Oh, you yeah. go you go you go talk about what he's doing over there. And we don't want to hear it. Um, You know, with with Matthew Rosengart, you see him really deflecting attention onto his client and not onto himself. And it's just a different approach. That's a very nice way to put it. Um, uh, I do want to get into Erica Jane, but I just had one last question about Brittany. Are we of at course. a point now, if they keep going on now at this point, we're at the top of the mountain. Do we, are we at a point now where Brittany doesn't have to pay for the people against her? Like, does Jamie have to, does, I want Jamie to start having to spend the money he made off of Brittany for law. Like, when does that start happening where he doesn't have Brittany paying for his defense? So Matthew Rosengart's already arguing that in court filings when he first filed the motion to suspend Jamie. And in my in my content, we've been calling it the motion to yeet the motion to like curl Jamie out <laughs> into space. Um, and mostly because when I say yeet in my content, it makes my 13 year old cringe. And that's what we live for. So in this motion to yeet Jamie Spears out of the conservatorship at first, Rosengart said, and look, if he continues to fight against what's in Britney Spears's best interest, he is acting in his own self-interest, not as the conservator of the estate. And she should have to pay. So Rosengart's already shifting the court to this analysis of, oh, you know, does Jamie have to pay for all of this litigation with regard to the motion to suspend? And what other things does Jamie have to pay for? Rosengart already filed pretty strong objections again, saying, look, there's this $500,000 of media matters that's being billed by Holland and I Knight. That, yeah. What the fuck? Why are we doing that? Why are we paying for this? So Rosengard's already trying to shift the payment onto Jamie. He also said that he is going to go after clawing back and disengorgement of other fees that were paid. So he's going after monies that might have already been approved or paid. I don't think he's going to stop. And I'm sure, 
I mean, I spent 10 years being a prosecutor. All of this is horrible for Brittany. This is her life. Her father was bugging her bedroom. But for the prosecutor in Rosengart, this is like a terrier with a bone going, oh my God, oh my God, I get to find it. I get to find the money. I get, this is a- Somebody who loves their job. Somebody who loves what they do. And you get, there is stuff here to dig into and start clawing through these fees and seeing if they were appropriately spent. There's a lot to do and there's a lot of substance to come. He had a big one in court early, but there's a lot of a job left here to, to stand up for Brittany. And I hope that they're able to see it through. And I'm sure that there are, if not federal state prosecutors now hearing, Hey, her bedroom was being bugged. Who's investigating this guys. This is not okay. Do you remember when Eid, uh, back in the day, they, I believe it was the second OJ trial. They did, um, uh, dramatic readings every day. Cause, uh, the, you know, video cameras weren't in the court or, you know, and the, every day on E they did these dramatic reenactments. And I was like, you should do that again with all this Britney stuff. It was one of the tackiest things I've ever seen, but it was very um, effective in terms of pop culture and just like the wild yes. things that can come out of it. Oh, um, I told my audience I was going to buy the transcript of the last court hearing and do a dramatic reading myself because Britney's law army over on Twitter was like running in and out of the courtroom to get information. And the fighting between Rosengart and Vivian Thoren, I want to see the entire transcript and Wait, I want to hear you, all of it. If you have auditions for that, can I audition for Matthew? Yes. Can I audition? Yes. We yes, you can. You could have a bunch of podcasters audition for it on the yes. pod and then you we'll pick do, which, We'll do a full know. like old school yeah. radio show reading <laughs> yes. this transcript. Like It'll the, be great. The, the gavel. Yes. Gonna, like, you know, um, okay. Ryan's so, ready to be Ryan daddy. I, I love it. <laughs> this, I do have a question though. You, you were a re, you are a real prosecutor. You are a real lawyer. Why are you doing this now? Why, what was that origin story from that to this? Because you are extremely effective at this and your popularity really is growing and growing and growing. But what was that move for you? Why did you decide to do this now? Absolutely. I mean, there was definitely a moment as an LA County DA when I was pregnant with my second child. My first child was asleep and I had police protection on my house due to the credible death threats that I started reevaluating my life choices. But then I had a series of health issues, including multiple back surgeries that made it very hard to do trial like work. And I have to admit, I have a little bit of an ego sometimes. And my ego was very bruised about trying to still be a prosecutor and not go into court. And it became time for me to step away because I couldn't I could not continue to sustain the pace. I was dealing with adrenal fatigue and other things. I have a TED talk about it, about my health issues and moving away from my career. I moved into doing consulting with online entrepreneurs and and other business owners and really loved connecting with people on their businesses and their business goals and how to formulate those because I always enjoyed white collar crime. I always enjoyed business formations and all of the like opportunities for tax benefits. I love that stuff. But as COVID hit, uh, my podcast started gaining more traction. And I had started my podcast as a way to just inform people to understand the law behind the stories we were talking about anyway. And really, when Kanye West started leaking his music contracts, I was like, why aren't we doing more pop culture on this podcast? Because I'm fascinated by like Kanye West taking on the music industry on Twitter right now. Let's talk. And then started digging into Britney and other stories. And that started to grow during COVID. A lot of my clients are like, I don't know if my business is going to survive. I'm like, I feel you don't worry about it. We'll just stop all the work we're doing and I'll start making some more content. Cause now I have some time to dive into this yep. and it started to grow. My friend goes, she reads every paper. She reads every court document, <laughs> every page, you know? And like, I could never, I do. 
I could never do that. I mean, like, I'm just not, my brain doesn't work. That. I can make stupid memes and I can talk at length, but like not about anything super important, but it's going to be fascinating. That, thank you. But it's like reading <laughs> Sanskrit. You're able to, uh, you know, break it down in a way that we can all understand. And I think that is such a talent. And I mean, you're really funny and, 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 and well-spoken, but it is amazing to be able to have that. It's like, it's like Superman being able to fly. You have like a hidden power that only a handful. I of translate legal have. into human. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's such a, it's such a gift. Um, Speaking Thank of translating, uh, we need you to translate some other things for us. Now, last night was the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills uh, finale, which I think yes. was an amazing season. And and you watched it with your mom, as we saw on Twitter. And <laughs> yes. I, I do that with my parents sometimes. And I always walk away with my dad being very ashamed of me and, and my choices in life. Oh, what my was- mom is horrified that this is my career now. She's like, I don't understand what you do on the Internet. I'm like, well, I talk and I get paid to talk about shit that I like. And if I don't like it, I don't talk about it. It's I'm living my best life. My mom's like, well, you've always liked to talk. And I'm like, yep. She does not love the purple hair. Mom, mom loved me being a prosecutor much more. These life choices are difficult. (laughs) Well, I mean, people, it's like, they're like, well, people actually listen to this. People actually listen to you. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what did you think overall? I I thought this was a thrilling season and and a lot of people even said, oh, last night's finale was slow, but I'm so locked in to this that every little minute moment for me uh, hits me very hard where I thought it was a great finale. I thought it was. And to see the trailer for the reunion. um, Oh, my God. I, I know this is a hard question to ask, but overall, how do you think Erica handled herself this season with everything against her? What are the battles to come for Erica? Because I think we're all under the misconception that Andy's going to solve the mystery on the fourth episode of the reunion. Nope. And then this is all goes away. And I'm trying to tell people, no, not at all. Like this is far from over. What, what do we have to look forward to or not us to look forward to? What does Erica have ahead of her? Erica's got a long road ahead of her. And I think she's being look. There, there for me, I kind of analyze what Erica's doing in the like before all the lawsuits and the bankruptcy came down, wh- how she was behaving after we know that she knew. Because at that point, when the all of the lawsuits started coming forward, the Edelson PC case came forward and the bankruptcy started, we know she knew. Like it was the LA Times said it. She had, there's no way she can say at that point she didn't know. Yes. Her behavior going forward from that point has not been great. Um, I, Erica definitely seems to see herself more as a victim of Tom Girardi. Did but you see today she called her, the she others. compared herself to Christ earlier today on her Instagram Great. stories? Which, I mean, by the she way, did put tro- herself a troll. She's just trolling. She us is trolling. Point. Yeah, yeah. But it it doesn't hit the trolling at this point doesn't hit well That's because exactly it. it's just not it's distasteful. And it's Erica has not been treated fairly. Look, Jen Shaw has not been treated with half the vitriol Erica has been treated with, but it doesn't matter. What her husband did to people is horrific. And it is, it's just, it's just some of the worst of the worst because not, not like, you know, Jen Shaw didn't owe a duty to the people that she allegedly defrauded. Tom Girardi owed a duty to his clients that he very aggressively pursued in some cases, very aggressively sold that he was the lawyer and then took their fucking money. There's no excuse for it. But the other lawyers in the firm who are facing contempt hearings in Illinois over the Lion Air crash, over the the widows and orphans crashes, it kind of became on the on the show. 
they're facing contempt hearings and they're saying, we didn't know anything. So I have a hard time saying if the other lawyers in the firm, including Tom's son-in-law are saying, we didn't know what he was doing with the money. I can't skewer Erica for what she might've not known before, but I absolutely don't like her behavior going forward. I think that she has tried to walk a line of not saying much that's going to get her in more trouble. Cause at this point, she's not in the bankruptcies. She's not a bankrupt party. She's not under criminal indictment. We don't know if there's an investigation. Yeah, everybody's like, she's going to, I hope she goes to jail. It's like, that's not even an option at this point. That's like, she's not, not up on criminal charges. You know, she, at this point is potentially a benefit. Well, not potentially. She's a beneficiary of these funds that she might have to pay back, but she's more likely to have funds taken on the personal side of the bankruptcy where she's a co-debtor for a lot of the things Tom Girardi spent and a lot of her property they're going to argue is marital property. He bought it with marital funds, but that's not going to come back in the law firm. The problem with the law firm side of it is, is it seems that Um, the bankruptcy trustee there has uncovered that Tom Girardi is using law firm funds to pay personal credit cards, possibly writing them off of taxes. The IRS involvement in this might take years for us to know about, but the IRS is absolutely going to be looking into all these entities. And that might actually come back to bite Erica in a very big way because it doesn't matter what she knew. She signed her tax returns, and that could be a problem. So what do we have coming for Erica? I think Erica's lawyers are probably trying to figure out the global weight of her potential liability, not just from what does she owe in the personal bankruptcy? What, if anything, does she owe in the law firm bankruptcy? But what, if anything, could she owe to the IRS and the Franchise Tax Board in California, which could be the most substantial sum? And those are things that can't be discharged. She can have liens against her future housewives earnings for quite a long time. So I think they're trying to figure out what everything is before they say, okay, we can settle over here for pennies on a dollar and we'll settle over there for pennies on a dollar. I They can't really settle until they know the other shoe has fallen. And I don't think we're there yet with the tax side of it. Cause I think what has been uncovered is there probably will be tax implications. So Erica has not handled this with grace. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, by the way, I I think exactly like you is that it just, it really hit like the trolling hits differently when you're like, at the end of the day, you're only like orphans and widows and stuff like that. It just, it's, it's different than like another housewife, like Rinna trolling us. Like it's different when Erica Jane does it because it's just, there's so much more involved and it's like, girl, your ego is going to be the thing that destroys you. Just like that. It's the thing that made you, it will be the thing that crushes you because Mm -hmm. at this point, it's not about you. Like you still are under this impression that it's about you and it's not, it's about all of these victims. And she's never once. And a lot of people had asked me to ask you that as well of, um, okay. So maybe her lawyer said, do not say anything. You can't say anything, but can't her attitude on these shows be brought up in court of like the general, like, this is what she posted on this day. This is what she, can any of that be brought up in, in, uh, just as like the almost like color commentary of what was happening. (laughs) Why? I mean, like, does that, or is just the law just doesn't work like that. It doesn't It's not relevant at this point. It doesn't mean it won't be relevant down the road. Um, It's not relevant for how much she might owe in the bankruptcy. It's very transactional. Was she paid funds that she shouldn't have been paid that can be clawed back into the bankruptcy? And that's really a transactional procedural determination that her lawyers are fighting. And I think part of the reason they're fighting is because they don't know the full scope of what she might owe. If this ever went, and this is a, if this is a speculation, if, if this ever went to a criminal um, or even a larger civil trial and she was being punished down the road, showing her attitude might matter at that time, but for what monies she owes 
her attitude towards the whole thing doesn't really matter. It matters in the court of public opinion and whether people will start watching the show more or less, whether people will stop following her on social, whether brands want to work with her. I think it matters for all those things. Oh, I mean, what and brand I, at this point? I mean, what, what yes. brand is, I mean, what, what, what are we doing? Like a, uh, like a CBD oil that she put on her hoo-ha earlier in the season? Like, I mean, what, what possibly? Brand? Yeah. Like, you know, when, it's, when, <laughs> when I'm getting stressed out by trolls online, when like everyone on the internet's trying to fuck me, what I like <laughs> is a little CBD to pat the puss. Yeah. I could see that maybe working, but I don't think her lawyers, I think her lawyers could have helped her craft a statement saying every day new information is coming out that I did not know. And I am horrified. I feel that Tom has taken advantage and misled lots of people. And I'm sure they're feeling as hurt as I am. If she still wanted to make it about her, I'm not going to comment on this much further because my lawyers have advised me not to, but my hearts are with everyone who Tom Girardi has misled, taken advantage of you know, defrauded, whatever word you want to say that I don't see how that could have hurt her. Like I can't conceive of a way that would have hurt her in the bankruptcy or in a future thing. Cause it's not admitting liability. It's showing empathy. And I think she could have done that and didn't, I think this hit her too fast, real time for her to process it. Well, and I think we saw her default programming and her default programming is like an angry dog backed into a corner where she's just going to lash out at everyone coming at her. But even like last night, the first scene where we redid the story of the the, the car crash for the and, third and, or fourth time. Yeah, but but we got the new piece of information that her, you know, my son was there. My son helped me find him. Like we didn't hear that in Palm Springs. We didn't hear no. like how do new pieces of the, you know, she's like, I've never changed my story. I'm like, no, but you keep adding to the story. You keep yes. at yes, anding yourself months later, <laughs> and it, it it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me in that sense where I'm like. How are you gaslighting us into like acting like you are the bastion of truth in this in this situation when it's changed every time, you know? Yep. I've been very frustrated that she was so inflamed at Sutton um, and you're calling me a liar. Sutton's like, I'm saying you're leaving out key parts. And that's facts. <laughs> that's just facts. She has left out information and I wasn't sure. And you never know with TV if it's editing, if they're making, yes. if there's, if they, but hearing Sutton actually sit down with Kyle and say, I am confused. Maybe go, oh, maybe this really is in the way Erica's telling them. It's not that things have been clipped out. It really is that there's information missing. And Sutton's like, first it was an ankle. Then it was unconscious for 12 hours. But then I've seen online, people are like, no, Tom was back in court. I don't think someone at his age is unconscious for 12 hours and back in court two days later. I mean, I've seen lawyers out of court for longer with the flu. So uh, 12 hour being unconscious is a very serious problem. I that's not an. What if she's mistaking that with sleep? What if she's mistaking that with sleep? Like Tom just slept hard for twelve hours, and she's like, "Oh, I meant said unconscious. I meant sleep. I meant a good a good sleep. Yeah, Um, those are two very different things. It's been so interesting to see. I, I feel like she's taking in information and then feeding back out little bits to try to continue to control the narrative about that and trying to almost push this mental decline story. But what we we see Andy asked that at the, the reunion, I mean, I was very proud of Andy, even in those clips, who knows if it really is, but it looked really nice. I was like, wow, Andy actually maybe get it to play. You know, I was like, that's nice. Ask the hard questions. And he has to, it's hard asking the hard questions. He can ask whatever he wants, but Erica has to be very mindful in those moments to take a deep breath and realize that anything she says can down the road 
come back to bite her, not just with people on the internet exploring the differences in the story, but if she ever does have to testify in any way or even in depositions, those can be prior inconsistent statements that can come back in depositions saying, oh, well, now it's this, but it was that. And lawyers love doing the, well, Erica, were you lying then or are you lying now? Lawyers love this. And we've seen that Erica's quick to anger. If I was a prosecutor that had to deal with Erica or even Jen Shaw, I would try in questioning to push their buttons so that the jury would see that flare to anger and start to understand that this isn't somebody just sitting there quietly and demurely in a cardigan on the other side of the table. So you'd go um, like, Erica, is it true your, your third album was horrible front to back? <laughs> would you be like, hey, was there no bops on your third album? Is the rumors true? Um, so do you like these shows? Or like, I know this is like involved in pop culture and what you do and it's like this fascinating mayor, but like, do you actually enjoy watching these shows yes. or is it like TV? Okay. That's like, that's the yes. thing. Sometimes. No, I, I have been watching housewives since season one of OC. I, this is the, like, I have built a job. I don't even know if you'll call it a job. This is my full-time income being a commentator on the internet talking yeah. about pop culture that I love, but this is the stuff I used to feel guilty at at work when none of my colleagues wanted to talk to me about it. And I was like, but you guys, didn't you see, aren't you watching? Why aren't you watching? Why isn't everyone enthralled with Jersey shore and Snooki showing up with a bag of trash? I oh, watched okay. simple life. I watched, you know, the real world in the first season. I have enjoyed reality TV. I'm, I mean, I'm old. So so yeah, I have enjoyed I, reality TV I watched since the real, old days. Real World, the first season was yes. Uh, that was fascinating. That was, I was a kid, but it was like it was huge for me. I, I watched yes. reality shows ever since. Which, by the way, uh, did you watch Real World Homecoming uh, last year? With uh, I did not the, watch Real World Homecoming. Oh, you gotta watch. I, I mean, need. Just I know it's it on my list. The amazingness of like how people change and how people don't change, and it's really there's some really <laughs> interesting moments. Um, well, that that really actually makes my heart feel full that you're a weirdo, just like uh, oh, I I'm am. a total um, weirdo. I have looked for people to talk about this on the internet. When if you look on my Instagram, my very first Instagram photo, because I did not, I was not on social media much as a DA because you know personal safety reasons, <laughs> but I had a very small like Finsta with just my close friends. And my first photo was all the news vans waiting for Lindsay Lohan to come to the court that oh. I was working at. And I was trying to be professional, but I was also low key dying that Lindsay Lohan was in my courthouse. And I was low key dying that I got stuck in an elevator with Michael Lohan. I'm like, this is my job. Today. <laughs> this is, I have, I, I really do love and I'm fascinated by pop culture. And when I would pick juries in criminal cases, I tended to pick juries that I thought would not be put off by my personality and that would like me. Sometimes I would get older engineers, particularly dudes who thought I was too informal and they were not my favorite jurors. If you walked in with an Us Weekly or a People magazine, you were on my jury. I'm sorry. I love you. You're my people. Sit down. We're going to have a chit chat about. So you would time. ask your jury like, what is GTL? And if they knew Jim Tan <laughs> if they didn't laundry, know, we're like, like okay, if you don't, don't know what GTL is, get out. Wanna... you're not going to understand. Um, me. So yeah, this is no, this is a lifelong, like me procrastinating talking about pop culture. And my colleagues were like, Emily, there is serious stuff going on in the world. I'm like, there is, but also <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Sarah Galley last night, who I know, you know, and love Sarah. We were, I do too. And we were talking about the, you know, the, the psychological, the, the stuff, but like the motivations behind everything. And in your opinion, I know this really would just be your opinion. I was really trying to think of Tom Girardi of 
what started this four decades ago of what the first, um, you know, the lawyers I know take the law very seriously and the the vow that in these are systems put in place to protect us, the little people, supposedly. Uh, and there was had to have been a first case for him where he let things go, like where he pushed yeah. the boundaries and like where I mean, over these four decades. And was it one of these things where I think two things can be true at once, where he is mentally declining and he still was stealing a massive amount of money for four decades or or but like. Was it just that his mental decline, like he would have pulled this out, like he was he was borrowing to pay here and there. And it was like this huge game of cards for him that he potentially was excited about. Like, where do you think it all caught up to him? Was it mental decline in your opinion? The little I don't know if it was know. mental decline that caught up. I think I don't know what's tipped him getting behind the eight ball, if you will, on money with cases. I would suspect that it's likely that he overextended on a case that he thought would get a huge settlement and it didn't. And then he had to start shifting money around. And then, you know, you take it from this settlement, but there's that next settlement right down the road and it'll pay this one back and pay that one back. And you see this happen with gambling where it's like, I will make it back on the next one. I'll make it back on the next one. It's another, and it becomes ego. It's like, and I'm clever enough to make it back on the next one. And no one caught on and he's paying money to politicians and judges. And he has everyone, you know, kissing his ass in the LA legal circles. And I think he believed his own bullshit and was like, we'll make it back. No one's going to question me. And then the clients that did have the fortitude to go to court, half the time, those cases were getting dismissed because of statute of limitations, which means that the time had lapsed when they can bring the case. I suspect that he was stringing them along, knowing that clock was ticking like, no, it's going to be fine. No, oh, I'm going to get your money back. No, it's going to be good. No, it's invested here. Just give me a little more time. Oh, I'll get back to you. I imagine he was just stringing it along long enough that by the time they came to court, there was nothing they could do. So this, this goes back decades. So I don't think it's mental decline. I think that one of the things that pulled, you know, the cards out from the bottom of the house was COVID. You didn't have this um, need for things to settle. Things weren't going to trial. Normally big corporations like Boeing are under a time clock because the courts are pressuring them to trial, but trials are years out now because of the COVID slowdown. So there wasn't one more settlement to pay back the money. Because he's won judgment since all of this. Yes, uh, he has. This has happened, which, you know, like that's money that can actually go back to these victims. Yep. Um, but Which is uh, why I and others have called it a Ponzi scheme. You're taking in that new money yeah. to pay back old money. And yeah, it's not investors, but it looks like with some of these clients, he was telling them, I'll invest your money. We know that from the Rui Yeah, Gomez It was family. all of a sudden he was like running like a like a home decorating unit and exactly. like a finance. Like it was all of a sudden like that shouldn't be being done out of the no. the law, the law should company. Not. Yeah. Or yeah. Should um not. And also the upkeep on Erica from the first decade to the second decade was in, like it an seems, insane. It up. seems that it was insane. But at some point, you can tell your spouse no. I know. And he <laughs> didn't do that. He was, he, like, he, he was, he was just like, whatever. He was like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Here's the Centurion card. Here's the, the Platinum card. Here are the American Expresses. I'll pay them. I don't know if she knew he was paying it out of the law firm bank account, not the personal bank account, but he also didn't have that law firm set up like a corporation. He was using it as personal, personal funds. Yeah. And $14 and million dollars we staggering. see on the American Express bills on yes. what these things went to. Like, it, it really is fascinating. Uh, I know, uh, as we, I got it, it's so much stuff. Okay, Jen Chong. Jen, Jen Chong. <laughs> Just okay, shout wait. out words. Shout the out one, words. The one thing, Brian Laundry. <laughs> The one thing you, oh God! The, the one thing you said about Jen Shaw, which I, you're like, you know, she hasn't gotten half the vitriol, and the only argument I want to make about that is 
Well, let's get Beverly Hills out of the way, and then we can really put our full hate and spotlight on Jen Shaw. But <laughs> the second thing it's, is, like is, that, is that we're only... You know, Erica Jane, we had seven or eight seasons with, right? Or like this, uh, you know, huge amount of time. So it's, it's, it has this almost gravitas because we've been with this character for so long. But Jen Shaw, we're, we're one season in with Jen Shaw. Yeah. It doesn't have, I mean, it's, a, you know, the thing is, and you say, you think she's going to jail for like 15 years, right? Yep. I mean, and yeah, I, 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 I thought five to seven or something like that, but everything is against, why won't she take a plea? Because you always say she's, she's going to plead not guilty. That's what you think, correct? I that is what I think. I I I have two things I want to address with what you've said. First, I think you raise an excellent point with Jen Shaw being a newer uh, introduction to the housewives world. And I think her behavior on season one, I think a lot of people don't like Jen Shaw and saw her be wild and out. And we're like, okay, this woman is, there's something up here with Erica. I think a lot of the audience felt betrayed because those who came around to rally around her, especially I'm a woman in my forties, you know, you look at Erica and you're like, yes, girl, you know, you get your showgirl best life on later in life. You go ahead and be fierce. You have an adult child. You're on Broadway. You're making your dreams come true. You have what we think are, is a happy marriage. And so I think that betrayal is being paid back by the audience where they're like, I rooted for, like Tyra Banks. We were all rooting <laughs> yes, for you. Exactly. Yes. That, it's that with Erica. And I think a lot of us were rooting for her. And now you, I can't even watch the glam without a pit in my stomach going at what cost and at whose cost did this entire career and persona of Erica Jane come at like this? He paid for all of that to happen, but with whose money? So I think you raise a good point that Jen Shaw's newer to us. And I don't think people bought into her and liked her the way people liked Erica. Um, when also Erica's this LA story. I mean, we, we bring in, we bring in all the state of California. We bring in this law giant. He was so well-respected. Like there's so many elements to this that really tie in to like this kind of Beverly Hills, old school Hollywood almost like it's, it's really, well, yeah, as he's Tom Girardi was sitting there telling the women and they were at rapt attention as he's telling the story. John John Wayne Wayne. comes in and he says, Hey boy, how you do, you know, like, right. And everybody's laughing. Rena, of course, always, laughs, laughs. Um, but Jen Shaw, but Jen what, Shaw. So everybody's a, everybody's turned on Jen Shaw, right? In this case, it seems that way to me. And this is again speculation. We don't know, but maybe not coincidentally. Just a few months before Jen Shaw was indicted, two of the defendants pled guilty. And what often happens in prosecutions like that with multiple defendants is if they're going to take a deal with the government, part of that deal includes information. So I would not be surprised to find that her co-defendants had shared um, how to tie her into this case because there was additional information in the search warrants from the show. The search warrants have things she did on the show. So those were newer search warrants when she got indicted. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see. Now we know that her first assistant, Stuart, looks like he's taking a plea. If she ends up being the only defendant at trial, it's going to be very, very bad strategically for her. But I also think there's a very big ego there. And we're seeing that on the show. It's like, you all are just stupid. You don't understand. This is just maybe a marketing issue. This is, this is not criminal. And she's not quite understanding that wire fraud and money laundering are very much real and are very much criminal charges. And she seems to think it's all a big joke. 
Well, do you think there's a possibility? I mean, do you think the possibility really is there that she thinks she's innocent and that she what she wasn't doing was criminal? Or does she think because my theory is after watching all of these housewives seasons, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, all of these ladies are criminals like every. And by the way, they're they're <laughs> suspect for just being on the show to begin with. I mean, who would choose it? Well, there's obviously an FBI division now that is just going after housewives. I mean, if you want to get a case, just look at any new housewife. You, I mean, even OC, we now have a uh, sweet baby James, the lawyer, <laughs> you know, which you guys won't, you guys will meet Noella this upcoming season, but it seems yeah. like that's the, if you want to make your bones and like, like the FBI, just go after a housewife, you know, like, does I mean, Jen I'm sure think there's innocent? prosecutors too, who are just like, Hey guys, um, this seems odd. Can we, can we take a peek? And we know that's how Teresa Judice's case started too, right? With the IRS being like, oh, hey, the way she's using cash is very much like how people who are laundering money use cash. I'm so curious. And then they started digging in to look because that's what investigators do. They follow their intuition and and take a little a looksy-poo. But with Jen Shaw, the problem for her is that this is the Southern District of New York. They have done three of these trials. I have not seen one person get off yet. This the is the Southern third District, round. man. They, the they Southern District is going to come for you. No, they don't at all. And they take cases that they are most likely going to win. And I, again, I was a state-level prosecutor. When the feds didn't want something, we got it. I worked prosecutions where half of the arrested defendants were federal cases and half were left to me. Guess which were the ones with less evidence? Yeah, the ones I got. Federal prosecutors have their choice of the most solid cases, and they have the resources to work up their cases for years to make them solid and tend to go after large schemes. The thing that I think is going to nail Jen Shaw, and we learned this in some of the filings from the federal prosecutors, is that she was deposed back in 2016 with regard to these businesses doing business this way. After that deposition, she didn't shut down her businesses. She said, okay, we're not going to talk on cell phones anymore. We're going to go to Telegram, which is an app that you can use to mask your text messages. So they're not going to come across on your phone bill, like WhatsApp. You're not going to see it on your phone bill. You can make calls through that app and what have you to kind of mask it. That's when they started moving (laughs) these companies to Wyoming, where you don't have to register your name to them. So they couldn't trace people back as easily. So instead of saying, oh, the FTC seems to think that what we're doing is not on the up and up marketing wise, we should not do this business anymore. What she said is, oh, I need to hide it better. So let me change the way I'm doing my business. So it's harder for them to track. And that, that turn, I think Mm. is going to nail her because a prosecutor is going to look at a jury and goes, why'd she need to get sneakier? If she thinks it's all fine, that shows intent to me. And that shows that she knew that what she was doing wasn't on the up and up. She had been given a heads up about it and she just chose to change the way she did it. So she was less likely to get caught. So sorry, uh, in terms, of, yeah. So hey, Jen, I know you're listening. Um, uh, what's the time frame on the Jen Shaw stuff? Well, they're set to go to trial in March. But didn't if they go po- to trial? They postponed okay, it. They postponed March. it. Okay. So it was uh, supposed to be October. I mean, I was ready. I was going to go to New York, go to BravoCon, go sit myself in a federal courtroom and watch some Jen Shaw jury selection. I was ready. I wanted to see the outfits. How do we choose to do the hair? I was ready for the spectacle of a high profile. Did you not like her braids when we saw her do the uh, the 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 perp walk? The perp walk. Uh, that yeah. was an interesting. It was an interesting day. I, I I still don't know where they were going on that cast day. So I don't know if the braids were a choice because of the activity they were doing. I know. Yeah, I know I'm she sure they were doing something that she that needed day. the braids for. I'm sure it was like, <laughs> a bra- please, ladies, bring your braids on this cast trip. Um, I know she wasn't. She didn't know she was going to go to jail that. 
day. But she knew when she started filming that the other co-defendants had been arrested and indicted before she started filming season one. So she had a heads up and didn't change the way she flaunted her lifestyle on the show. And that's a very interesting choice. But you can see in that first two minutes of SLC, which God love a shady Bravo edit. Like, thank you for the way you do production. We, we stand, but I mean, that eye roll to the cameras that looked at the cameras that oh. like, Oh, sh- she's trying to clock where the cameras are, get it turned off. Cause she knew they were coming for her and she knew the shoe was going to drop eventually because and she of still managed to keep it through. cool. She managed to like, I just got to go out for one sec. I just got to go out for once. I mean, just really shows you kind of what a not mastermind, but really thinking 10 steps ahead of who's watching her at all times. I think that's yeah. really kind of show uh, a sign of guilt in itself. Um, uh, this is another question. What, what about a pitch this where it's like the Bravo Supreme Court show and you're one of the argue, you. <laughs> so you do it, maybe like Bravo docket. You guys argue against the Jen Shaw case or like even like the Candace, like Candace and Monique or like all of these cases. And then we have like an eight jury, like a no, like an eight Supreme Court panel of just like Bravo meme makers. And you're we like, just, just we, bring the court of public opinion. Bring yes, all the like podcasters that's what I'm together. Like, you can just argue all the of these cases. We go through every case and we we can do even simple ones, you know, like, um, but I, I think that's what, I mean, do you think TV is a next for you? Like you do the YouTube show. I know you have been a commentator on certain things, but is that something, I, I mean, I could really clearly see that. Is that something in your, in the back of your head? N- not really. I mean, I, I love being a resource. I really do love live streaming because I love my audience and I love getting to connect with them in the chat and TV. You don't quite have that control. I also, my family and I during COVID moved from Southern California to Tennessee. I love recording out of my studio at home and then being here when my kid gets off the bus in the afternoon. So, um, I mean, I don't really know what's next. I just keep saying, yes, I love being a resource to bring, you know, kind of the facts behind the pop culture drama, but you know, I met legal Eagle. Who's another YouTube legal commentator who does mostly political commentary and some reacts. I'm just coming for his 2 million subs. Like that's, I would love to get a gold play button. Look, my kids shaded yeah. me over the silver play button. Yeah. I, I really see that in the background. <laughs> you have a really nice like studio. It's like a pink lit. Yeah. And that's like, I'm in I my love it. dirty bedroom. Like this. No, is, it's great. Really you sound it great. It's all that matters. I <laughs> love, <laughs> I love the control I have of YouTube. I love, love that I get to control the stories that I talk about. I mean, you joked about Brian Laundry a little bit and I've covered it very, very minimally just because it hits very close to home, not only personal life for me, but cases I've worked. And I, when you're a prosecutor, you get to know the families of victims and particularly murder victims. Cause you work with them for a long time as you're getting ready to go to trial. And so all of the kind of circus around it has hit really close. And it's nice to be able to say no, where I imagine if I was in another context, people are like, you're a former prosecutor. This is what you're talking about. This is all anyone wants to know about. And I like having a little bit of that uh, control, but yeah. the laundry manhunt is fascinating. The, the you see today that, that they tragic. brought his dad out to uh, a Florida campsite where they think he might've been, which I was like, why would they bring the dad out? Did he finally kill himself and they have to go identify the remains like what why did they bring the dad out always a concern site i you know it was very odd that they brought the dad out i the dad hasn't cooperated i don't know if they tried to get the dad away from the mom out of the house so law enforcement can be like look we're never going to find your son if you don't talk to us if they think that maybe mom's the one driving the decision makers and they needed to split them up to really walk have law enforcement walk and talk with dad and be like look 
Let's have a real conversation away from the cameras, away from the people outside of your house, go walk into the woods and really have a come to Jesus with law enforcement saying, we're not going to find your son without your help. And the longer he's gone, the more at risk he is to take his own life. And the more at risk he is that if somebody sees him, that they might kill him because we've seen the vitriol coming towards the laundry family from people outside of their house. And I get the frustration of they are not cooperating with law enforcement, but he's at risk if somebody wants to apprehend him, um, that they might not do that in a peaceable way, especially if he's up on the Appalachian trail where people, um, aren't shy about their guns. I mean, you know, I can see, I could see somebody running across him and be like, looky motherfucker, we're done. Yeah, taking I mean, you in. Yeah, he resisted. Certain. He attacked me. I think there's a lot of concerns there. So I was with my parents last week and I, I told them, I said, hey, and I know this sounds kind of funny, but I was I was like, hey, if I ever do something like that's horrible, don't stand up for me. Like, I know parents stand up for their kids, but like there is a thing of like, you know, you got to like understand that humans do bad things like they do bad things. Don't. And I know like families try to protect families, but like I just, I, I find that just so disgusting that these parents say, like, but anyways, uh, that's, it's too deep. No, um, but it's, it, it is hard to watch. And I, I talked to my audience. I'm like, look, if, if you guys are worried about this stuff, you need to make sure we talked about the cybersecurity of uh, how hard it would have been for Gabby Petito's family to try to get into her cell phone, to find her last known location before her cell phone was turned off when you're an adult and, and the things you can do to start having, you know, using something like NordPass or LastPass where you can say, hey, there's emergency access to my passwords so someone can get into my accounts. All of those accounts geolocate you. But if an adult's missing, law enforcement's generally like they're an adult. They don't have to check in with their mom and dad every two days. So it's interesting trying to figure out how to navigate this digital world and privacy in, in a time where horrible things still unfortunately happen. But navigating a, uh, a digital world is one thing, but like when stories like this come out, like, you know, I have all of my friends that are girls that usually end up telling me, oh yeah, I had, I, I had a boyfriend like that. Oh yeah, I had a boy, you know, like all of these yeah. stories come out that this is not unfamiliar to females out there. This is a very right. familiar territory where, you know, we are, uh, you know, some men are like the number one things that will harm women in this world. And it's really, it's just a really horrible, sad thing to, to witness. Um, uh, I know this is another sad thing to witness, but I noticed you were talking about uh, Josh Duggar. Um, yes. and uh, not as sad to witness because he, uh, his chickens are coming home to roost on. That I line. hope so. I hope so. But here's another, we talk about families protecting families. I mean, oh, he's harmed yes. his own family. He's harmed his own family. And, and what are you trying to say? I mean, are you, you know, you trying to save your show or are you trying to save your, what, what, I mean, like, uh, but to this guy walks out of the courtroom with his wife and they're both smiling. They're both like, I mean, like it is so disturbing to watch. And, and we've seen time and time again, that this guy cannot seem to control himself and that jail seems to be the place like somebody like that should be in, you know? It is disturbing to watch. I was, and I, with some of the legal cases, I don't really follow outside of the court documents, everything that's going on. And my audience really helps fill me in on that. I didn't realize when Josh Duggar and Josh Duggar is being uh, prosecuted in uh, no Arkansas for possession of CP and child abuse images. He um, has is facing two counts. He just went through a whole bunch of motions. We learned a lot more about this case. But, but when he was going through his detention hearing, which was like six hours long, because I listened to the entire thing, the government did a very thorough job, but it was the longest detention hearing I have ever been present for 
ever. Um, they released him on house arrest where he gets to pay for the ankle monitor. He has to be in a home with no minor children. It seems that the home is a friend of his dad's. And now the daughter from that family, who's an adult uh, in her 20s, is now engaged to one of his brothers or one of his wife's brothers. So the families are very intertwined. But his wife, who is pregnant with like their seventh, is living with him at the home for the house arrest, not with her own and their own minor children. And the six other children seem to be now with his parents because she has chosen her husband over her kids. It's it's staggering to me to watch it all play out. It really is. Uh, the heart wants what the heart got. I mean, it's just, I mean, um, this is a very strange level of like manipulative stand by your man stuff, but the evidence against him that's oh, I been read, presented there, so far is very strong. Didn't the one investigator say it was the, the most horrific images he'd ever seen in his, in his career or, or something? There of that are, nature? he, one of the files, one of the hashed files that he had. So the way law enforcement, this is probably way deeper than your audience wants. I'm sorry. I love you all. We're having no, a great no, no, conversation. My, uh, they're great. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the ways that law enforcement kind of fishes and catches these images across the dark web with a net is that the files are hashed so that they have identifiers so that they know when these files are being shared. These files are shared hundreds, if not millions of times over and over. And it's the same known files with the same known videos. One of the videos that he had is one of the most horrific um, series of videos that are just that are just really, truly appalling. And I've told my audience time and time again, please don't Google because there's no going back from what you will learn. Um, but when the investigators spoke, the investigators who work in this space work in this space for a certain number of years before they rotate out because it is so troubling and so dark. But yeah, some of the images he had are some of the gnarliest and and, and most disturbing um, images and are well-known. Um, seeking something like that out is is disturbing but he was doing all the things that one would do to try to hide this behavior he yes that was the, the thing he had programmed to hide yeah. the images he was looking for which yeah. means that he knew what he was doing if he has he, this program on his computer you know he is again um innocent until until proven guilty but there are some things in the investigation that we've learned that that definitely allude to knowledge. He asked if his IP address at the car lot was marked. Not many people would even know to ask law enforcement that or know what it means. What does marked mean? Um, that they're watching that particular IP address. I, he might've said flagged, but that they're watching that particular IP address for illicit downloads or illegal activity or dark web activity. He was using different kinds of browsers to uh, monitor and access the dark web. Most people don't know how to do that. If you don't know how to get on the dark web, don't. They will steal your whole life um, if you go messing around where you don't need to be. And when law enforcement went to question him, which his attorneys tried to suppress and lost, law enforcement was like, hey, do you know why we're here? And he's like, has somebody been downloading child pornography? And they're like, it's so interesting that you ask that. <laughs> Jeez. So weird. Uh, so um, we will see. That's that I we have until the end of this month to change the plea. The court gave a very clear deadline. So if he's going to plead guilty, um, his lawyers have asked about a plea deal. We know that from some of the documents filed in court. We'll see that by the end of the month. If not, that's going to be going to trial in the new year. Um, and if it does go to trial, it is not going to go well for him. Jurors do not like being forced to watch CP. Um, oh, it does they not have go to well. They have to watch it. 
they yeah, can't they have... convict someone of possessing ah. something if they don't verify the thing is the thing. It's just like in a drug case. You can't just say that dude had drugs. You have to bring in the lab test and show chemically oh, this thing is this thing. Jury uh, duty is already like bad. It. I mean, talk about like having to get picked for this. I mean, that's horrifying. Hor- it's horrifying. Um, and his attorneys were actually offered. Do you want to see all of the images on his computer? This was in the latest court filings. Do you want to see all the images of the computer? And his attorneys declined to see everything that he was looking at because they don't want to see it either. I I guess the only thing that comforts me, the only thing they're going to find on my phone is like photos of Lisa Rinna cackling. Like that's the only thing. I have thing. so many screenshots oh. Oh, of, if I get, of pop oh, culture celebrity. They'll, the they'll amount think of I'm screen, insane. I'm like, the- <laughs> they'll think I'm insane. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's like, why do you have so many of Erica James tweets? I'm like, because I thought she was going to delete that shit. For a second look. Oh, when she docks the federal judge, I was screenshotting that shit oh, immediately. I was doing phone. I thought Erica Jane had posted the trailer for the reunion. I thought she act because I couldn't find it. I was like, oh no, she took it yeah. down. So I had it up on the phone and I had another phone yeah. that I was recording from. I was like an old shaky camera in like the back of a movie theater. Um, as we wrap up, I you said something about like housewives and uh, displaying their wealth. And I think I have this theory that Gina from OC, she's probably the richest of all of them and acts like she lived in a casita. But in reality, she's the richest of all of them. Um, who is the next housewife that we should be looking at? Who is the next housewife that we have not mentioned yet? But if you were a betting man or woman, who do we uh, need to be looking at? Who's curious? I think a lot of questions have been raised about Mary Crosby's church. Oh, de- and I think that actually gets brought up this season. Yeah. Uh, well, I do. The, the, the reason is I that too up, easy? <laughs> it is too easy. The reason I bring this up is that I did have one question um, uh, from my Patreon users is that uh, PK and Dorit, PK suddenly goes, I lost two billion for I these mean, investors. Jesus, uh, and he was joking. He was like, oh, you know, it's, it's whatever. What is what is that all about? Do you I mean, like that? What what is that? All I about? And I hear rumors that he has PK's bankruptcy. Issues. I I have not dug into PK's bankruptcy that he was alluding to. Um, and I don't know if that was a U.S. bankruptcy or a U.K. bankruptcy, I think it was UK, but which yeah. makes it much harder to get records. The U.K., I think, is looking at us with horror. I have a, a fairly wide international audience and they're like, how do you have all of this information? I'm like, oh, we have an open court system, friends. This is all public record. You could but do special Patreon Emily same. in the U.K. episodes <laughs> uh, where you go over and investigate. Much harder to find so I, I think there's been a lot of questions about PK and Dorit for a while. We saw that in other seasons where it was alluded to and Dorit was like, shut it down. So I don't know. Dorit has had lawsuits with her former investors. So I, I don't know what's there. I think being on Housewives, if there is anything there, it's going to eventually come forward, not just because you're putting your life on display, but on display, on display, all of it. You're <laughs> putting it all on display. Oh, but I, I would, I would shoot. I would only shoot in a blank room. Like I'd just yeah. be like with nothing on the walls, no furniture, yeah. just like a little like camp set up, and be like, yeah, this is my place. Yeah, you need to know nothing about me. Yeah. But also, the internet digs stuff up. I mean, we have greater access to information than ever before, and Twitter sleuths will find things. I'm surprised Twitter hasn't found Brian Laundry yet, but they're definitely trying. So I mean, but I mean, they they discovered so much. I mean, they they really... discovered so much. YouTube. It was YouTubers that really showed the footage of where they actually ended up finding Gabby Petito because they went back through their footage. I mean, the the amount of eyes that are on us at any given time now is different than any other time in history. And that's a very interesting thing. But you're not ever going to get away with much 
for long. And so I think we'll see other housewives things. I mean, even with, we were just joking about Melissa because, you know, we love a good housewives hot track. Um, I mean, but Joe there's Gorgas been questions brought up about Joe estate. as yeah. well. Yep. So, and real estate dealings, there's stuff that's come up about Mauricio that not much has been made of, but there's been real estate dealings there. And oh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot. Yeah. I, but well, as Joe Gorga would say in an Instagram post, the more you look at me, the more it says about you. Like he always <laughs> says, he's like, really, we're nosy bitches, Joe yeah, Gorga. Yeah. yeah, it does say that about me. I, I am. Be, I mean, if I was a housewife or a house husband, I'd be like, please quit the show immediately. Like I yeah, have bad business dealings. This. this is not good. <laughs> um, Emily think- D. Baker. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You think what? I was just going to say, keep I, going think, as much as- I do too, but I was just going to say, that I think the people who, uh, who choose to do the show now, I mean, first, first seasons early on when you don't know it's different, but when you choose to do it now, I think there has to be a certain level of confidence in yourself and in your life that, that people aren't going to dig or find or look. And that confidence pulls you through being on the show. Is I it confidence or ignorance though. Is it, is it, is it, I used to pray to be oblivious as an actor, as an acting team, like as an actor starting in LA, I saw the actors that really made it. And the ones I would coach their greatest strength was that they were oblivious. They were oblivious that they were bad. They were, and that, that led them to be able to keep working until they were good. Like if my thing was like, Oh my God, I'm horrible. I couldn't keep doing it. You know, like right. I knew I was a horrible singer, so I'm going to stop trying out for musicals, but you know, the obliviousness of some of these ladies, the ego on some of these ladies is what makes them legendary. But at the same time, it also ensures their downfall in the end, which is that's why these shows have become Shakespearean. Yes. The complete arc, the, the, tra- the comedy yeah. tragedy arc of, of housewives. It really is. Well, I, like I said, I could talk to you all day, but what comforts me is knowing that you have your own podcast, your own Patreon, your <laughs> own YouTube channel. How do we support? I know the easiest way is probably go to Instagram, go to your link tree, follow you there. And it takes you to all of the different places. But I know you have a Patreon where you actually go in deeper on a lot of these things, right? I do. So our Patreon has my members only podcast called I have thoughts, and it is really a deep dive into what I'm thinking about the stories, the YouTube channel. I really do break down the legal documents and explain them in layman's terms. Uh, there are times I absolutely have opinions. I share those, but a lot of the time I'm like, you guys, this is what the law is. This is what it says. What do you think? And And then I leave the the thoughts for people who want to seek that out and aren't just looking for the information. And you can find me all over the internet at the Emily D Baker. I do quick bits of the legal stories I'm covering on Twitter and Instagram. Um, a little bit of silliness over on Instagram as well. And then most of my content lives for free on the YouTubes. And that is my home. I love it so much. Well, my God, you are great. You are exactly what everybody said you oh, would be right. as a guest. Yeah. I mean, no people, I, somebody, I said, I was talking to you today and you're like, oh, well, she's going to do all the work. Don't worry. You know, Hey, if you suck, it's okay. She's going to carry that. And I'm like, <laughs> perfect. And you did. And, and so amazing. So you always have uh, uh, any open invitation. If you want to bitch about anything, please consider co- after juicy scoop, come here. And you always have a home here. Uh, Heather McDonald was so generous. Did she's she? such a yeah. lovely human. Um, and we had a really nice time. I just no, I awesome. happened yeah. to be in LA to sit down and, and get to chat. And I look forward to being back in LA again soon, but it was, well, fun. next was time you are, please, conference. please let me I'll know. I, I definitely want to uh, keep this going. So thank you so Absolutely. much, Emily, you guys, you already support her, but if you don't, you know, now, now know how amazing she is. Go, go support. She is so much smarter than I am. And she is funny and all of that <laughs> stuff. So uh, we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much. 
Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I gotta tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Folks, wasn't Emily D. Baker just amazing? So I strongly recommend going to check her out. And now it is time to uh, to do some commercials. But these are products that have um, they've they, they've been with us before. So I'm very excited that they're back. And the first one, of course, is Osea. Now I have talked about Osea now a couple of times, and I have heard. From all of my female friends and some of my male friends that it has been very difficult and it is difficult to find uh, clean skincare products that are good for your skin and the planet, but also actually give you the results that you want. And I have good news. I think we might have found them in this company, Osea. Now, Osea has been making products that do just that for over 25 years. So when it comes to clean beauty, Osea is the pioneer. And that is so important. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers. And they're known for creating amazing body products like their fabulous Undaria Algae Body Oil, which is perfect because we often forget to take care of our bodies the way we take care of our faces. I uh, unfortunately have not taken care of either. So it has been a blessing that Osea is in my life. It is. It truly is. Uh, my mom is into it. My sister is into it. I have friends into it now. And now I am into it. Um, so Andaria Algae Body Oil, it feels um, now th- this is got I got to tell you, as a guy, I'm trying to explain this to you. It is not greasy or sticky, and uh, I, I just feel like it, it feels good on my skin. Uh, it uh, my, my female friend says it feels luxurious and rich, and it does absorb really nice into the skin. It also moisturizes your skin, uh, leaving your skin looking healthy and glowing. And I am one of those dudes that never had um, like a... Uh, like a 20 year plan for my face or body. So I'm kind of playing catch up with everything. But one of the first things that I learned um, in the last um, five years, and and you're like, really just in the five years is that you got to (laughs) moisturize. No, I'm not joking. So I know what you're thinking. Also body oil. If you're, if you've been using body lotion for years, you might be a little wary of body oils, but let me tell you, I am a convert. I started using uh, body moisturizers. Like when I, first started a short five years ago. And I got to tell you, this actually is amazing. So the Andaria Algae Body Oil has been Victoria Beckham's favorite body oil for years. Now, 
she is my favorite Spice Girl, so I do have to listen to what she says. But you will be obsessed with it too. So it soaks in easily, it isn't greasy, and it has this really nice citrus smell that instantly it kind of makes you feel like you were at a spa. I don't know if you guys know, but I used to be a manager at a day spa, and we would like those kind of smells really do kind of make you feel like it's relaxing, it is nice, you kind of feel uh, rich. <laughs> I think that is the word. Um, so I can't even tell you, um, I know this sounds weird, but my skin is, I feel it like soft and smoother than it has felt in a really long time. And it kind of, um, I, now this, I don't like, but I think I do look like better. I know that sounds weird, whatever, but my body lotion never did this. So Osea's products are clean, they're vegan, they're cruelty-free, climate-neutral, created with sustainably sourced seaweed, and they're made in California. So you can feel good about what you're putting on your skin. So experience your new favorite clean skincare line with a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order with promo code SOGOOD at OSEAMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50, you get free shipping. And also remember, this is actually great as we start heading into the holiday season. This is like good kind of stocking stuff for stuff too, you know? In fact, I might try to get my mom a couple at a discount. So you're going to want it all. So go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code SOGOOD. And just on a personal note, this is the company I've told you before, but they're one of the companies that wanted to do an onboarding call with me just to walk me through the product. They made sure I had it. They made sure I used it. They made sure I knew what the company was about, that it is female founded and run. And that kind of stuff really, uh, it, it really kind of like sat well with me. I was like, wow, they really do care about their product. That means a lot. I think, you know, like when I tell people about my product, I take pride in it. And these people really take pride in their product. And I think that actually is something to always pay attention to. And it's one of the only companies that use my product code as so good instead of so bad. And I think that's great because it is so good. Um, so check that out, you guys. And of course, my next one is Bowl and Branch. And I got to tell you, so they sent me my bowl and branch sheets, beautiful gray. They are so soft where I was like, this is such a noticeable difference than my Amazon sheets. And, um, cause I don't really know I'm a dude. I don't really know a lot about this stuff. And this is, these are so nice. And I got to tell you, um, now I've had them for a couple of months and they feel even better after I wash them. I, I know this sounds disgusting, but I was like, I don't know if I want to wash them because, <laughs> because they feel so good. And I, I thought like, you know, when you wash a t-shirt or something and it kind of like looks grow, you know, like, and it doesn't, these get softer and softer. And I think that is so amazing. Um, this kind of stuff makes me remember this company in the long run. And when I get new sheets from here on out, I'm going to get them from Bolin Branch. It is huge. So the little things we all do, Bolin Branch says, add up to the legacy we leave behind. And Bolin Branch was started by a husband and wife team that wanted to create a textile company that cared about the details that would make their products last. And you will definitely feel the difference in their best-selling, beautifully crafted signature sheets, which is what I have. Um, so the difference between Bolin Branch sheets and my Amazon sheets, I mean, 
there's not even a comparison. Like, I feel like a grown-up with these sheets, but also a grown-up that is about to have the sleep of his dang life. Um, they're soft, but firm. They have a softness. They're smooth. It's just really nice. So experience the uncompromising comfort with the best-selling 100% organic cotton signature hemmed sheets. Oh my gosh, I have to remember these details. I was just talking to a friend about uh, Bowling Brand sheets. I, I'm not even, this is not made up. And she asked me what it was made out of. And I didn't have my script in front of me, but it's organic cotton. So organic cotton is, I got to text her. So this cloud weight, super soft sateen weave gets softer with every wash. I told you it did. So crafted to the highest standards and attention to detail from sourcing to packaging, the perfect balance of weight and breathability to pamper warm or cool sleepers through any season. Now get this, give your bed the White House treatment with sheets that three presidents have fallen in love with. I hope they were good presidents. To, to experience an entirely new standard of comfort, visit bowlandbranch.com. In fact, our listener Sheridan, my friend Sheridan, she I, I she bought like hundreds and hundreds of dollars of Bowling Branch sheets after she heard this. And I hope, Sheridan, I hope you liked it because I, I was so impressed by that. So visit bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D. B-R-A-N-C-H dot com and get 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code so bad. So bad. S-O-B-A-D. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code so bad. And guys, now back to our show. And we're doing, we're we're getting a supersized episode for you today. Vanderpump Rules Solo Recap, Season 9, Episode 2. Here we go. Guys, isn't Emily D. Baker just amazing? Uh, I was so, so excited to talk to her. Thank you guys so much for recommending her to me. And now I am just a huge fan, as, I sure, uh, as I'm sure you guys already were. And for those of you who didn't know, I'm sure you are a fan now and you will not be listening to my podcast any longer, which I totally, I, I'm not happy with, but I totally understand. Um. Once again, I am so sorry for Sophie Ross not being here today. I know some of you guys count on that, uh, like a strong, strong cup of coffee that makes you potentially go to the bathroom multiple times during the day. So it's just me and you and Emily Baker today, but I wanted to give you something a little extra. So I was going to save this for Tuesday uh, along with an interview, but you know what? I am just going to, uh, to Sophie will be back on Tuesday. So I'm going to do this here and it gives you an extra day to contemplate if you're going to watch this season of Vanderpump Rules season nine, or if you're just going to listen to these recaps, both are very valid, but I would like to say, I think if you, if you don't, <laughs> this is going to sound weird. If you don't expect a lot out of this season of Vanderpump Rules, you are going to be pleasantly surprised. I say this all the time. This is how I've gone about my own life. If you don't expect a lot out of me, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And I think the same damn thing about this season of Vanderpump Rules. There are so many great moments. I was watching it for a second time and I just, I was laughing. It was kind of, it has that summer house vibe. Like, no, yes, nobody is cheating on each other. No, they are all well known at this point. You don't have that same magic. You're going to have to go to another new show. Uh, but like I always say, this is like watching your friends. It's no different than watching Real Housewives of New York. But yes, the the elephant in the room, which I don't even think it is Jax, Stassi, and Kristen are not there. And guess what? Even if they were there... 
it would not be any different. I'm telling you, it would have the same ratings. I'm telling you, trust me, I am a professional in nothing but this. It would not change a damn thing except for the people that really did not want them on would be pissed that they were still on. So what I see is that these guys busting their ass and kind of one group more than the other, I believe Sandoval and like, I believe they're all kind of trying to play along, but then like Lala and stuff like that doesn't really seem to be fully getting that message. Like, see, she says she wants to play along, but then she really doesn't. She's kind of like, I think, um, she's playing both sides right now. And I will say, I think if anything, the fact that Stassi, Jax, and Kristen are not on this season has strengthened so many of their actual friendships in real life. I don't think these people would be hanging out nearly as much with each other as we see them do on their Instagrams. Like all the kids got together this weekend. I saw my friend Janet holding all the babies and all of that stuff, which I think Janet's coming on uh, soon so we can get a lot of dirt from her. But I don't, I don't, you know what? And I don't know if I saw Sheena there, but it definitely does seem like a split of Ariana, Tom, Charlie, Raquel, James. And then you have Jack, Stassi, Kristen, Lala, Katie, Tom, Schwartz kind of goes back and forth, Randall. You really do have that split. But I will say, and I know this is horrific of me to say, but I kind of think that maybe the people that are off the show are working double time to be friends with the people like Lala on the show, almost kind of trying to divide from outside, if that makes sense. And I know you're like, Ryan, that could be totally paranoia, but I really do believe that in a way. I really do believe that I think they might try to be hanging out with people like Lala more because it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you can have the show, but I'm going to screw it up for you, Ariana and Tom. Yeah, it's not going to be. And and I could be, to- like I said, I could be totally wrong. This is no, I have no facts to back this up. So in a sense, I could run for president, but uh, you know, I have no, but doesn't it kind of make sense from who, what we know about these people or what made them good to watch? So whether you love her or hate her, I really do think Stassi will have her own show somewhere down the line. Now, I was arguing about somebody that was relatively close with her, and they said, oh, I don't think so. But I was like, no, I think you give it another year. It's pro- I don't think it's going to be on Bravo. But I could see it. And also, I just think it is, I guess I'm just, I don't know. I am fighting for this show. I I really am. I want this show to succeed. And it's not because I dislike Stassi, Jax, or Chris. I mean, you know how I feel about Jax. That's never going to change, I don't think. But I'm almost kind of fighting for its survival because I really do loved I love this show, and I want to believe that there's a way you can make a show work. And I always think that's through just the characters themselves. Now, what we're seeing, I believe, on this season is these characters on steroids. So you think Sandoval likes to dress in costumes and be extra? You're going to see him be the extras you've ever seen. You think Lala likes to get at you like a muzzled dog as she tries to call? You're going to see a lot of that. If you think Sheena is really loving her baby and herself and her guy, Breck, you're going to see so much of that. So I believe they are throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Now, what I loved about this episode is that you had this amazing couple of moments with Charlie Burnett, second season Charlie, that I thought that, that is what I want to explore. That is what I want to see more of. That is magic right there because it is real. I want to know her boyfriend now. I want to know about Barstow more. And if you guys watch the episode, we'll get to the part if you didn't watch the episode. But I want to remind everybody, 
If you want to know more about Charlie's food issues, I did an interview with Charlie a little bit over a year ago, I think. And um, it's one of the best interviews I've ever done. Not because of me, but because of her. You know, I think around 45 minutes in, she opened up and told me some things that I would have had no clue. I did not know, but it just came up naturally in a conversation and it blew my mind. And when I tell you, you know, she has been through some stuff, she's been through some stuff, but it's right there on my podcast. Search so bad. It's good. Charlie Burnett on Apple uh, or Spotify, and it'll come up. And I think it's worth a listen. And, you know, a lot of people, you only got a couple uh, scenes out of Charlie last season. Uh, She did. She killed it on the reunion. But some of those scenes. You're like, uh, oh, oh, avocado and, uh, you know, pasta, da, da. It, you know, it's really easy to make fun of those. But remember, like anything, and I, I don't necessarily remember this all the time, too, because I, I pop off like Lala before I get all the information. But remember, there's a reason why people are the way they are. There's a reason why people think that they th- that think the way they think or like the things they like or dislike the things that they dislike. There's always a reason. There's always a reason why something shapes somebody into how they uh, they move through the world. And we got to hear a little bit of that from Charlie on this show over a year ago. And I got to tell you, it was the interview that I was like, I want to keep doing this. Like this was just blue. And I talked to Charlie or I was DMing with Charlie uh, last week. And I, I think she's going to come back on the show. Uh, she has to get permission, but I mean, she was just so, she's just a very nice person. So when I was hearing a lot of people go, I don't like Charlie. I don't like Charlie. I, I said, oh, you will give it time. You will. And in fact, a couple people, uh, emailed my friend Lauren and a couple other people, uh, DM me and said, you know what? I really like Charlie now. And I, I gotta tell you, I think you're going to get a lot more of that. And those are the people that we need to champion. Those are the people we need more of new people that we can hear stories and let them interact with these people that have been there forever. Remember Lala and DJ James Kennedy, they got thrown into this mix too, and they survived. So you got to allow room for that. And Max and, um, you know, what's the other modelly guy, Michael, what did, now I'm even blanking on their names. That's how little they meant. Uh, but they didn't work. It was bad casting, bad production, but I think Charlie works. So we need more of Charlie. So episode two of season nine, this is called the Schwartz shuffle. Now, if I was a betting man, and if I just read by titles and told you what that mean, I, I would think that this has something to do with Schwartz, Tom Schwartz. And I would think that he likes to dance, do a shuffle. Turns out I am wrong, but that was my first guess when I heard the title. Now, remember, they they go over the, like, uh, this season on Vanderpump Rules, and we meet Brock again, and he's like, I got your put, I got your swelled, and I put it down. <laughs> In regards to their bit, I got a swelled, and I put it down. My name's Brock, I'm a little Irishman. And I think he, he's Australian, you guys. Oh, and this is a great time to, you guys have listened to me enough. You guys just, what do I always say? These aren't accurate impressions. I'm not an impressionist. These are the voices I hear inside of my head. And I'm sorry. I gotta put just a load and put it down, Brock says. And then DJ James Kennedy, um, you know, he, uh, we're doing like clips from the season so far, which is one episode. DJ James Kennedy is like, uh, I took a pre- I- <laughs> I took a pre-vitamin. I took a pre-workout vitamin. And then I called Max a fat ass. Um... 
And uh, we have Lisa going, are you going to open up another restaurant to Tom and Tom? And Tom's like, yes, Schwartz and Sandy, that's the name. And then Katie going, that's like uninspired Sandoval. And uh, Sandoval's like, shut up, dude. You're annoying me to Katie. And then Lala telling um, everybody that she's been writing her book, Give Them Lala, over a year. And Ariana going, she's doing virtual press tours about me? Don't use me to get attention. And then we have Lala at uh, Ariana and Tom's at the end of last episode going, I don't give a fuck about you. You don't give a fuck about me. I'm gangsta gangsta. And then Ariana goes, bye-bye, bye-bye. And then right there we go, these are the best day. I'm telling you, no matter how you feel about Vanderpump Rules, we all can agree that this song knocks us off our coal mining asses, right? Best reality show song in the world, period. And if you ever want to dis, I will fight you on this. Two hits, me hitting you, you hitting the floor. This is the best song. Is somebody gonna argue? Is somebody gonna say Summer Summer House is good? It's not the best. Real Housewives of New York, not even a song. It's not even a song. This is a song with lyrics. It makes us think: Are these the best? Uh, moments of our lives you get these slow motion things of you know dj james kennedy spinning a record and you know (laughs) just slow movement slow looking at the camera i will say though sometimes lisa's at the very end and something is going on with lisa's face i don't know if this is cgi i don't know if george lucas got involved but there is something happening with lisa's face and i would be reticent if i didn't say hey i do notice i don't know what it is it seems there's like a frozen death mask i don't know what it is but something is going on and like i said uh last last week i am curious of why um you know why her husband you know ken vanderpump (laughs) Ken Vanderpump isn't in the opening credits anymore. I want to know if he was asked to stop or he was like, I'm not going to do that again. Remember, that's not actually how he sounds. That's just how in my head he sounds. And I'm not able to, you know. Uh, and by the way, I know when I hear the voice that it's not his. I love that part of my, all of my recaps now, part of them is just me saying, I know that doesn't sound like that. I know. I, I'm not stupid. I know. So the other thing I like about Vanderpump Rules is they fucking hit you over the head with every angle and mute. They're like, they do camera angles. At one point, they did an upside down camera angle of downtown Los Angeles. And I was like, holy shit. And they just hit you over the head. They really like fucking amp you up where you're like, what the fuck is happening? Like I stood up out of bed. I was like, fuck. I thought I was like late for work or something. I realized I don't have, and I lost my job during COVID. But it made me like almost have a Panic! The the openings on these things, and then we go to uh, Sweat Cycle, which I guess is a exercise place in. L- Remember when Jax used to go to Sweat Garage? And I was like, how? What a vomit place! No offense if anybody owns Sweat Garage, but I just think like when I think about a garage, a sweat garage, I think about my parents' garage. It's in Arizona, and I actually just sweat when I go in it. It's fucking disgusting. Like, who would be like, yeah, I'll pay you $100 a month to go in that. In fact, I'm going to open up a place at my parents' if you want to have a sweat garage. Like, like Gilbert, Arizona edition, you know? But they're at Sweat Garage, and it's Schwartz, Sandy, and Brooke. Brooke! And they're all, they're all on these bikes. And Brock, Brock is like, hey, hey, get that rhythm, baby. Get that rhythm. 
he's like, hey, hey. And he's doing these like weird motions with it. I get, maybe they're exercise motions, and I just don't know what exercise. He's like, hey, hey, all right, get that rhythm, baby. Hey. And Schwartz goes, Brock has like a formidable physical presence. And then Brock's like, find the beat. Find that beat. Yeah. And he's like, just really seems to be enjoying being on the bicycle, which already makes him suspect in my head. And Schwartz goes, uh, Brock looks like something I learned about in Greek mythology. You know what I just realized about Schwartz? He's like a more uh, homogenized version of Keanu Reeves in just the way he speaks. Like, couldn't you kind of see Schwartz in the Matrix a little bit of like, whoa, green, uh, take the red pill. Oh, man. Like, it's a little like that. And um, Brock lets us know that I definitely enjoy a variety of things in terms of exercise, throwing, cycling, athletic training, CrossFit. You, <laughs> if it involves exercise, if you've heard it, I've trained it. And um, athletic training, isn't that like cycling? All the, like, he names off 30 things. And I'm like, bro, bro. You know what I'm like? I get it. And Schwartz looks like he's going to die, which actually reminded me, and this is kind of dark. Remember when Sheena was married to Shay and Shay was like that season where he was on pills and he would like, he'd gained a bunch of weight and they went over to like they Sandoval and Ariana came over to his place and they taught him how to take care, better care of himself, like how to make egg whites. And it was genuinely one of the sadder episodes I had seen, like for somebody to teach somebody how to make egg whites. And, you know, Sandoval was like, yeah, you got to th- you, you 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 crack the eggs and you, you take the yellow part out and then you just make an egg. white. Yes. Yes. Jay, you're killing it, dude. And um, and by the way, I like once again, I'm going to defend myself. I realize Sandoval doesn't have a lisp, but in my head, he has a baby lisp, you know, so we'll just. But I remember that about Shay. Like, we have gone through so much with these people. That's why we can't give up on them. We just can't. Um Schwartz um, goes, oh, I'm looking at myself and then I'm looking at Brock and I realize I got screwed in the gene department, dude. And then they're all laying down after the uh, the workout. And uh, Brock is like, how are those legs doing? They got a little bit of a jelly legs. And Schwartz is like, those things, your thighs are like ham hocks. The problem with those big, beautiful legs, Brock, is that it manipulates their perspective. So no matter how big your junk is, it's going to look small in comparison. Now, you guys, last Tuesday when this episode first aired, I got a bunch of tweets before I had watched it. And they said, oh, Ryan, thick thigh. Or like they were talking about thick thigh. And I thought all of a sudden I was getting bullied online. And then I realized this was about Brock when I watched it. But... If you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you guys do know that I am a part of the Thick Thigh Society. I have thick thighs, I cannot lie, and um, I've always been ashamed of my thick thighs. And they're not, they're they're just super muscular. If we ever do a live show, we'll do uh, like a kissing booth, but just where people can feel my thighs. And um, like, yeah, get a good feel. Yeah, let, let the family come in. Yeah, get, get, a, get, a, get a hold of that thing. But I've, I've always said that, you guys. I have such big thighs that it does make my penis look smaller. So you guys, I was under the impression that I had a very, very small penis. Like no, and this is private between you and and the other 10,000 people. But like, but the thing is, 
It's not that. It's just that my thighs are really big. I have a decent to average size penis. But all this time, because I was comparing it, if you gave me little baby legs, like DJ James Kennedy baby legs, I would be fucking John Holmes. I would be like Mr. Porn Dude. I would be like, who's that guy with a huge dong? Well, that's the bad boy of podcasting, Ryan Bailey. So that's like sometimes when I'm just like, God, you know, God couldn't give it to me all, you know? Gave me a great voice, beautiful blue eyes, uh, the ability to think for myself, but huge thighs, huge muscular thighs. And so this, I mean, imagine my surprise when I found out I had a decent sized dong. Like it was, and it was like a good, it, it, it was like a great thing to know, but then also it was just, it's bittersweet, you know? Because also, I went through a good portion of my life thinking that I had a very small dong. Like, you know, and I'm glad I <laughs> I'm glad I could share that. This feels good to get off my t- chest anyway. So Brock is part of this Thick Thighs group that we have going. It's me, him, Corey Gamble, Chris Jenner's um, boy toy. And there's a lot of, but Thick Thigh people, it just sucks in L.A. too. Because L.A. girls are all into the little skinny pinhead dudes. Like if you look like you're about to die, they're like, that is so hot. Like if you look like you can bear, like those legs don't even look like they could, uh, hold a torso. Girls are like, Oh yes. Oh yes. But it's like the thick, you know, I don't know. So like justice for thick thighs, that's all I'm saying. Justice for thick thighs. And also just realize, I hate to say that Schwartz is right about anything, but this was a revelation of like, you're right. That's what I've always said. The perspective is wrong. Like if Matisse or one of those fancy painters were to paint my junk, they would point out the perspective is wrong, you know? And I think that's just something that I wish. And this, I feel like this should have been part of the sex talk Bill Bailey talked to me about. Of Like not only sex, but also, boy, I notice your legs are uh, thicker thighs. I'd like to speak to you about your penis size. Like we never had conversations like that. And that's why if I ever do have a son, one of the first things I'm going to tell him from year one up until he, you know, hits puberty, we'll see what happens. Um, do you think that ever happens either of like, a st- never mind. That's too, never, never mind. They're not all, they're just thoughts. I'm not going to say that thought though. Cause I'm growing up. And, um, so Schwartz is like, uh, you know, the thigh to junk ratio, it's been on my mind for a long time. He's doing this to a talking head. And there's a flashback of Katie going, Bubba, you got a small wiener. And Troy's going, what? No. And I got to say, this is what I was talking about last week on the podcast is that I hate, I hate when they do these bits. So they do this bit where Schwartz is like a goodwill hunting. He's like, the ratio for a perfect dong to thigh. It's like the equation to a thigh. And he's like writing on like this board, which is the camera. And he's like, you know, this is a very complicated ratio. But luckily, I went to Florida State. And the thing is, this is so lame. But Schwartz is able to sell it. Schwartz is actually a very funny dude that knows he's a very funny dude. And he plays shy and all that stuff. But he knows where the joke is. I'm telling you. This dude is very comfortable in front of a camera. He knows what he's doing. And I believe that line was completely written for him. But he knows how to sell it. He really, really is good. And just from an acting perspective, I'm not joking. From an acting perspective, I watched that and I was like, damn, I'm impressed. Like, that's a... That's a hard line to sell because if you would give me that line, I would have been like, oh, that's lame, you guys. Are we really doing this shit? Because it reminded me of, remember when 
Stasi was doing like how long it took to get to Sheena's Marina Del Rey apartment and they did like this stupid video game. I hate bits like that. Like we don't want bits like that. Give us reality. Give us the the stuff between the characters. That's where the magic lives. I don't need fucking special effects and like, ooh, who did the graphics on that, you know? So Brock goes, um, I've heard you've been having little problems with your new bar, Tom and Tom. And Schwartz uh, says, well, yeah, like, the name. And Brock's like, what's the name? And Sandoval's like, Schwartz and Sandys. And Brock in her talking head goes, it's trash. It's trash. <laughs> it's trash. It's trash. That's name's trash. Personally, I'd work on it. Come on, boys. And he's, remember, in that gold LeMay Bee Gees suit, you know, he's trying to look like uh, Aquaman. He's trying to look like Jason Momoa, but he looks like Randy Momoa. Jason's like, you know, <laughs> Jason's older brother, Randy. Uh, hey, my name is Randy Momoa. <laughs> um, so Schwartz goes, don't worry about Katie for now, Sandoval, but I do want her to work with us. And Brock goes, you have to respect Sandoval, that that's your business partner, Schwartz. That's his missus, bro. And Sandoval goes, bro, you have to understand where I'm coming from. This is our last, you know, this is our last, these are our last names. And I'm talking about, and what, you you and me, you have two people. Like, I, it's a celebration of us two, Schwartz. It, it's a celebration of two people meeting on Craigslist, getting together, having a living Strong, have a, a loving, strong relationship where we inspire each other. We make each other better, Schwartz. And this is when I like was like, if I would have been producing it, I'd have been like, love lift us up where we belong, where the world is now. Because it is like this really, first off, I forgot that they met on Craigslist. Like that is, what a... What a ringing endorsement for Craigslist. Like, what if I just, I'm going to put on an ad looking for my Schwartz. Please inquire within. So then Sandoval keeps going. He's like, we inspire each other. We make each other better. Like the motorcycle sidecar, the matching suits. Lisa's been inspired by that. And having us become partners with her. This is what inspires me. I don't need someone like Katie coming in and fake working or something who just built Legos the entire pandemic. And Schwartz goes, oh, come on, bro. No, no, no. She did more than that. But, but don't worry about that, bro. And Schwartz in a talking head goes, it was, uh, bro, it was like, it was like me at first that said the name was uninspired. That wasn't Katie. And then in a flashback, we see him saying that the name was uninspired to somebody. And Schwartz goes, I'm, th- I'm sorry for my sins, dude, in a talking head. And Sandoval goes, dude, I'm having second thought about having, having Katie work with us, doing it with us, man. And then we cut to music's like really hyper again. It's like one, two, one, two, two, one. That's the lyrics to this like imaginary song that they play. One, two, one, two, two, one, two, one. Gotta get away. Gotta get away. Gotta get away on the inner person, inner music between scenes. And we see Ariana with a bottle of Vanderpump Rosé coming up to a restaurant. She gets seated, and then Lisa comes. Ariana, oh, oh, there you are, Lisa says to Ariana. And Ariana's like, oh, so so good to see you, Lisa. And then uh, Lisa takes a look at the Vanderpump Rosé and is like, oh, are they selling this shit here? <laughs> no, she says, do they sell this here? And Ariana goes, no, no, no. I, 
I brought it from Costco. No, I, she didn't. She said I brought it. And uh, Lisa goes, I looked at buying this place, but the kitchen wasn't big enough. And I'm like, I've eaten what you've cooked at, sir. The kitchen is plenty. Of and Lisa goes, uh, wait, bring a straw for my Vanderpump Rosé. <laughs> Ariana in her talking head says, back when Lisa was my boss, I never thought we would be getting lunch together. She understands my anxiety, my mental health, because she's been there. That is true. Remember, Lisa's brother killed himself. Her mother passed away. She has gone through a lot in these past couple of years. And... Uh, Ariana's like, oh, my God, Sandoval was so happy that you and Ken were supportive of uh, their new place. And she goes, Tom cried telling me that you were supportive, which is just like, where's that scene, man? I love when Sandoval cries. Like, And I wonder if Sandoval's a little jealous because DJ James Kennedy cries now. But Tom used to be the crier. Like, I, I would tear up sometimes. And I'm a huge Sandoval fan. I just am. Like, you... Yeah, I, I am. I really like I always say I love people that are unabashedly passionate about things in life because that's not me. But I love it. I admire it. I look up to it. And um, Lisa goes, of course, I was supportive. Of course. And Ariana's like, yeah, it's like the bird leaving the nest. And she goes, do you guys, uh, you and Katie want to be involved? And. Lisa says, uh, well, Ariana said, well, yeah, first, but then I realized it was very serious for the guys and I, I don't want to get involved in that. But Katie still wants to. And Lisa goes, I heard you're refinancing your house. And uh, they're talking about taking a loan against the equity in the house. And then Ariana was like, yeah, but it doesn't affect me at all. Because Tom would have to, you know, Tom would be just paying it out of his portion of the house. And Lisa and her talking head goes, I don't understand what the concept of putting your house up as collateral is. And Ariana and her talking head says, my financial, my fiduciary or financial responsibility would remain intact just to the house. And Lisa says, the bank would never just take Tom's out of the house. Ariana, please, you stay in bed, the bank would say. Come on. And I don't know a lot about houses, so I, I mean... I have no skin in this game, but Ariana is telling Lisa then, and this is what I hate. This is what I asked to not happen is that if Lisa wants to be involved in things, let her be involved in things. But please, can we please stop with characters having to downshift to be able to catch Lisa up with what's happening in the plot line? Like if she's that curious, watch the show along with the rest of us and be surprised. But like Ariana's like, hey, by the way, Sheena and Lala had this big falling out two days ago. And then she started ripping me to shreds. She refused to take accountability for it. Ariana says, I don't know who she is sometimes, Lala. And then she said, uh, Lala even said, next time I'll point my rage at Charlie because she seems like a bitch who can take it. And Lisa's like, she said that. And uh, and then Lisa goes, and now you're going on a trip with her. And Ariana says, it'll be fine. And then we get a new scene. And we're at Tom and Ariana's house. And DJ James Kennedy rings the doorbell. And Tom is like, do you want a mini latte? And I got to say, he's really all about making lattes because remember, he had that latte station in their bedroom last week. And it's not just making the latte. Then we see him like putting like cinnamon on it, like gussying it up like the dude is so extra. But like, I would love to be on the receiving side of his extraness, you know, like I want like sprinkles in my mini latte. Like I'm just like he's like, 
I'm just not like that. I just fucking hope it hits the glass, you know? And, like, usually it doesn't. It spills over the counter or myself. And he's just fucking all about it. It's amazing. So DJ James Kennedy's like, I can't believe I'm popping the question to Raquel. So he's asking Raquel to marry him, you guys. And Sandoval says, yeah, so fun for me to plan. You know, we got the food truck. We got the drink truck. We got the fire dancers. We got the hula hoopers, the fireworks. If, uh, you know, I'm just getting off on planning this. It is so fun. And James in a talking head says, Oriana's never got to let him propose to her. So she's really, he's really getting off on this. Uh, man, I love DJ James Kennedy just fucking being brutal. Ariana's never going to let him propose to her, so he's really getting off on this. And James says, uh, Oh, no, Raquel cherishes her memories of Coachella, so we're recreating it since it didn't happen the last two years. And uh, then DJ James Kennedy's like, I thought, what's the most romantical place in the world? And then I said, I got it. The rave tent at Coachella. And I don't know which rave tent at Coachella they were in, but it's definitely not any of the rave tents I've been in at Coachella. I've been there 13 years, like 13 different Coachellas. And the rave tents I remember is like you have people just sweating all like I don't know how raves will fucking happen again with like COVID and shit like that. It was just people sweating on top of each other. Literally, like I mean, I people were just projectile vomiting most of the time. And I love DJs like this is love. Yeah, this is romance. I mean, I've seen some gnarly shit, like gnarly shit. I mean, I'm not even, I mean, I've seen gnarly shit at 2 p.m. in the afternoon in a rave tent. So I love that this to him is like, this is love. Yeah. So James, we find out, asked Raquel's dad for her hand. And he goes, I went on a manly hike with him. And I was like, I love your daughter so much. I want to ask for your blessing. And uh, he kind of made a joke like, you know, I can just throw you over this hill right now and just be done with you. And DJ James Kennedy says, my family loves Raquel, but it's, you know, her family's a little tougher. You know, it's like Mission Impossible and I'm Tom fucking Cruise. I believe in Xenu, Scientology, level awesome, right? OT level awesome. He doesn't say that part, but he said he said the Tom Cruise part. And, he, and uh, finally, the dad said to DJ James Kennedy, he said, welcome to the family. But he didn't say yes. He didn't say I could propose to her. But you know what? I'm really inspired to make him and her family proud of me. Which is a very troubling pattern, I've got to say, with what we see on TV with DJ James Kennedy. Is that there is a lot of stuff where he's always saying he's going to make somebody proud. You know? And then usually he falls apart at some time. Like, so he's one of those people and it's not unlike Jax. Jax is one of those people remember he's like, oh, oh man, I screwed up again. I fucking cheated. Why did I do that? I'm going to, I'm going to earn back your trust. I am. I know I've cheated on everybody in this show with each other, but I'm going to earn back your trust. And then he would just end up doing the same shit. And that's why I think they really did. Jax really did get bothered with DJ James Kennedy because he's like, there's only room for one person to be a lying sack of shit on this show, you know? And I like DJ James Kennedy. I really do. I find him way more charming than Jax is. I would let him cheat on uh, my friends way more than I would let Jax cheat on my friends. And Tom's like, oh, Raquel's going to melt. She's going to flip. And then we're in a new scene. We get shots of LA. And now we're at Lala and Randall's house. And Lala is packing her suitcase in her gigantic closet. And Randall comes in with their baby, Ocean. And Randall's like, 
You're already packing? Randall is always just like, hey, I'm the most positive guy in the room. Where's my neck? But he's just, he's always really charming. And I got to say, the thing that I think really is very winning about Randall for everybody is, like I said, he is that positive guy. He's that guy with always going to have a smile on his face of like, come on, it could be worse, man. Don't get down. Don't get down. But you got to also realize that's a great attitude, but this dude's a wheeler dealer. He knows what he's doing. So sometimes I don't trust people like that because you know he knows how to make moves. And I'm not talking sexy moves. I'm talking business moves. I'm talking taking your money moves. I'm like taking you to the cleaner moves. You know, remember also Randall's a poker player. And what do we always say about poker players? No, I don't. I, would, I don't know. I was asking, what do we always, is there something that we say? It just seems like a, <clears throat> I don't know. It just seems like a type of person. So, uh, Randall's holding oceans. He's like, uh, uh, and Lala's like, oh, we're going to get matching crop tops. And uh, Randall's like, come on, we're not, you're not doing matching crop tops with Ocean. She's eight weeks old. And uh, Lala tells Randall, please give Ocean to the night nurse. We want to get to Palm Springs early. I love that they have such a deal where they have things called a night nurse. Like night nurse, isn't that, wasn't that the fake title in that show, The Other Two, on HBO Max, where the guy got a part in Night Nurse? Oh, I love that show, The Other Two. You guys need to watch that if you haven't watched it. Two seasons, really good. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. So Lala lets us know that typical thing of, I used to have a bag just of crop tops and booty shorts, and now half of my bag is that, and half of that is just breast pumps for my milk and Randall's like you're not gonna be happy with me bub guess who has a sensor on her swimsuit that we bought at Target <laughs> you do and and Lala's like you know why I'm mad about this that was your fault you just walked out of the store and we did self-checkout babe and he's like oh, I guess I did I guess I did and that's how he gets out of everything he's just smiling like Guys or ladies, imagine every time you did something wrong, you went, <laughs> I did do that. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just laughed and smiled. I think you would like you would get out of so much shit. 
just laughing. So I don't know what I was thinking. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you live and you learn, right? You live and you learn. Um, so Lola says, Rand, tomorrow I'm going to find out if I'm on the New York Times bestseller list because her book, Give Them Lola, is out around this time. Now, the New- that's like a big deal, man. I even knew about the New York Best uh, New York Times bestseller list when I was a kid. And there are so many reality show books now that I, I just imagine it is very hard to get on the New York Times bestseller list. And I believe Stassi did it because she was one of the first books. What was it? Next level basic or basic level bitch or like ghost basic. Or I was like a basic something like I love ranch and Game of Thrones or something. And I think she made the New York Times bestseller list. But there are so many reality show books. And I thought Lala's book was good. I listened to the audio book. It was fun. You know, like I like, you know, it's like I would I would genuinely listen to an audio book from anybody on Vanderpump Rules. But she's very early in her life. I would almost rather her have a book 10 years from now and talk about the experience of getting off of a reality show and living this life that she has and raising her daughter as it gets older. To me, that's the fascinating part I would love to see because I feel like we've seen a lot of her life on TV. But regardless, I enjoyed the audiobook. And Lala goes, I even went in and signed copies of the book and no one even asked me to sign it. And they have clips of her going into a bookstore and just illegally signing copies, which I would love if somebody was like, hey, hey, I didn't ask. Can I get a clean copy? I'm returning this. I do not want some. I don't want her saying, no, no, no. I want a clean copy of this book. How dare you? I didn't ask for this. Uh, and Lala is crying and she's like, it's weighing heavy on me if I'm going to if I'm going to make the New York Times bestseller list or not. And by the way, I just didn't even know that was like a goal. I guess it's everybody's goal. But if I did a book, I wouldn't expect it to. But I'm like a no, but like, I wouldn't expect it to go anywhere, you know? You know what? Danny has a book. Danny Pellegrino has a book that's coming out and I think it's coming out in November or December, December, I think. And it's available for pre-order now. And I think that'll hit the bestseller list because he's built up such an audience. And I feel like he's built up a bigger audience than people like Lala and people like that, you know, like people that are really inspired to go out and buy and do things for somebody. And I think Lala, I don't know if she necessarily has inspired that same like, oh, man, great person, really want to see what they have to say. Like, we love Lala for her actions. We've never loved Lala yet for the written word. And that's not to say we won't love Lala for that in the future. But, like, I think with, like, people like Danny, you're like, oh, I really love the way he thinks. I would love to see what his essays are about. That kind of thing, you know? And Rand, being Rand, goes, Lala, you wrote a book. And that's hard shit, man. You made... If you made a list or you didn't make a list, it's going to take away the actual accomplishment and you'll rob yourself of that. And he goes, I watched you write that book for nine months. And Lala says, well, it was actually longer than that. And Lala says, you know, you know, I'm black and white and I don't do well with gray. But I got to tell you, Rand, Ariana and I, I think we're gray right now. And he's like, why? Well, because on a podcast, I was like, why are you tripping? And I was like talking shit. And she was like screaming at me, screaming at me at this party. And then I tell you what, Rand, Charlie was chiming in and I had to get the fuck out of there. The only thing that kept me from drowning Ariana in her own body of water was my kid at home. And Randall goes, oh, uh, well, I'm really scared. And I got to say... It's fun to sometimes hear stuff like that. But also when you're talking about drowning somebody in their own pool, when your baby's in the room, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I just, 
Ariana is, uh, no, I mean, Lala is uh, a riddle. She's a mystery wrapped in a riddle. You know, it's like she she has a very specific way she thinks the world works and how people should be able to behave, but it doesn't seem like it usually has any, like she doesn't seem to follow her own advice, if that makes sense. And we get in a new scene now. We cut to Villa Rosa and uh, we see Lisa. She's got an orange Home Depot bucket filled with beautiful flowers. And Lisa's just cutting away at flowers. And I always love, I want to know if that's the actual reality of Villa Rosa. Because Lisa always seems very well done up and showered and shampooed. And she's always cutting beautiful flowers. And we see all of the animals. And it just seems idyllic. And I'm like, for somebody that supposedly has so much to do in the day, I don't know if I'd make time to be able to go cut beautiful flowers fully dressed up. Like, I, you know, I would put my basketball shirt. I, I, I just always wear basketball shirts. So Tom and Tom are there, and Tom's like, let's get these flowers and take them to Tom Tom, and then we got a pack for Palm Springs. And Schwartz is like, yeah. And then Schwartz goes, oh, my God, Tom, we match clothes again. No one will ever believe that we didn't even try to match. And then Lisa goes, you have to take all the flower boxes to Tom Tom, and you're just going to put it right on the bar. And I'm sorry, you're not going to get me to fucking believe that Tom and Tom, the part owners of Tom Tom, they are charged with having to, like, I'm going to need you to come up and get some flower boxes for Tom Tom. Like, I just feel like they would make somebody else do that, you know? Like, it doesn't, it almost seems, and go with me on this, this might be hard to hear, it almost seems like they wanted to find a way to have Lisa in a scene in her show Vanderpump Rules. Because otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. And Schwartz goes, she goes, Schwartz, make yourself useful and fill up this bucket with water for the flowers. And you know, Schwartz walks away and Sandoval goes, I have to tell you something without Schwartz hearing. And we hear Schwartz in the background going, hey, you painted the horse house. It looks great. And then Sandoval's like, Lisa, I'm going to violate my trust with DJ James Kennedy. He's going to propose to Raquel. And Lisa's like, you are? And he goes, no, James is. And Lisa in a talking head goes, Raquel deserves the best. And I hope he can come up to that place of the best. Schwartz comes back and he's like, if I was reincarnated, Lisa, I would want to come back as a turtle at Villa Rosa. And Lisa goes, that's ambitious. And then Tom's like, I would like to come back with your horse. And then Schwartz is like, so Lisa can ride you. And then it's like, yeah, bro, high five, down low, too slow. And then it's almost like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Like, I feel like they should be doing air guitar. But remember, we've always had that joke where Lisa had that like partially nude photograph in her house. And then Schwartz would always be like, oh, I want to whack off to that photo of Lisa nude. Lisa does have a decent, but I've always thought Lisa's very attractive, you know. Um, Lisa asks, well, are your ladies supportive of your new business? And Sandoval says, there's there's a little thing with Katie. And, you know, she told us our names were uninspired. And Lisa goes, spit it out. What's the name? And Sandoval goes, Schwartz and Sandys. And Lisa goes, I'm passionate about names, but that name, not so much. <laughs> That's such a bad. Lisa goes, why? Lisa says, why are you making that face, Schwartz? And Schwartz goes, uh, uninspired. Like, I know Sandoval thinks Katie said that, but those were 
My words, I think. I asked Katie to paint the seeds of doubt. And Sandoval in a Talking Dead says, I'm not thrilled that he had Katie plant the seeds of doubt. And Sandoval says, You don't have Katie Maloney come after me. You have Letha say she doesn't like the name because I have much respect for Letha. You know? <laughs> and uh, Lisa says, Schwartz, why are you such a pussy? <laughs> and she really does. That's the end of that scene. And then in a new scene, we're at, uh, uh, you know, James and Raquel's apartment. And James is showing Graham, his dog, the ring. He's like, you want to see something, Graham? Look at this ring. You think she's going to say yes? And I'm like, oh, my God, he's a dog. He's not literally going to answer you, DJ. And he's packing and Raquel comes in and Raquel's like, Hello, James. And then James is like, it got really hot in here when you came in. <laughs> and then we're in a new scene. Ariana and Tom are packing their Coachella clothes. And Ariana's like, I'm bringing a fanny pack. That's very music festival. And Tom's like, I'm bringing nipple clamps and eight pieces of luggage with lightsabers. Then we're in a new scene. And Charlie is talking to Lisa. And Lisa's like, ah, you're leaving. And she's like, yes, Lisa, I got off brunch. Um, and he's like, she's like, I heard you're going to Palm Springs with them. And she's like, yes, I hope I can relax and have a chill weekend. And then Lisa goes, the only thing relaxed about that group is their morals. <laughs> Be careful. Get ready. And I got to tell you, this scene, I can almost guarantee you, was filmed after they had shot the entire uh, Palm Springs vacation. This is like what you call a pickup shot, and you're like, oh, it's supposed to be reality, but it's like supposed to bridge the scene to the scene, so there's information, so Lisa's like able to be like, you're going, oh, interesting, you're going to Palm Springs, well, be careful, I know how crazy they can get. So they did this, I was in a scene uh, at Vanderpump Rules a couple seasons ago, and Lara Marie Shainals from Sex Unique Podcast was in there with us, and it was when they were all in Cabo, and it was like, supposedly Tom Tom had just opened and there was a line down to Motherload, but they did a shot of like me and Richardson and Lisa and Laura. And that was just with us in the restaurant by ourselves at 5 PM. And we had Mike packs on and they said, yeah, this is just like, this is what you say that you love this spicy vegan pasta or some shit. And Lisa came in and did two takes and was gone. And this is exactly, I could almost guarantee you this is what that scene is. Um, so, uh, Everybody's on their way. And then we go to Sheena and Brock's apartment. And Sheena is like, my mom got summer all new Palm Springs wardrobe. And Brock's like, she's going to vomit on it in 10 minutes. She's going to vomit all over it. And Sheena's like, that's why we got 20 outfits, Brock. And he's like, oh, very good. Very jolly old good, Sheena. And then we're in a new scene. And um, uh, so... Tom and Katie are speaking and Tom's like, look, I'm, I, I, you know, I, am excited to go, uh, uh, to this Palm Springs vacation with you, Katie. And I appreciate you going to bat for me with this name with Sandoval, but you know what? It's coming off a little condescending, which is kind of, Schwartz does have to watch how he talks to Katie. In fact, did you guys see that? Like, Katie posted a photo with Stassi and Lala and their babies this weekend, and Tom commented, where's yours? And I know I think Schwartz probably thought it was a joke, but it came off so fucking condescending and mean because, like, you're her husband, dude. And depending on how Katie feels about it, that could come off very mean. So it was, like, really weird, and I felt bad for Katie, and I just hate that. Like, I, I don't know. Anyways, so Tom is like, dude, 
like Lisa said, you're a pussy, Tom. But like it's coming off like Tom genuinely is a pussy and then lets other people take the fall for him. And then she's like, Katie, come on, don't be condescending. And he's like, you guys, you and Tom need to hug it out and chat. And Katie says, well, I thought we were a team, Tom. And he's like, of course we're a team. And Butters, their dog, is literally just staring at them like, what the fuck am I having to like... This is my life. I have to watch you guys do this shit every day. And Katie and I talking to Ed goes, pretty sure I'm the one who said death do us part with you, not Tom and Sandoval. And Tom's like, okay, hey, we're going to have a great time in Palm Springs. Let's have sex. And Katie goes, uh. And he goes, did you just uh? And she goes, yeah. And he's like, Bubba, that hurts. And I got to tell you, man, remember, they both said they do not like to have sex with each other. And they're kind of cool with that. And some people just aren't. Some people are asexual. And I get that. Like, I get it. Like, and some people don't want to show their butt. Like, sometimes I'm like, it just feels like I don't want to take off my shirt day. You know what I'm saying? Even like me, I'm like, I don't even want to masturbate today. Like, that's how sometimes I just don't even like my own body. So I get it. I get. But like, oh, man, it's like you guys don't even like to have physical touch with you. I mean, I just hope that for some, I just hope for like, I hope this is just a reality show sometimes because it would be really making me sad that if this is their actual, actual relationship, you know, and Katie, I'm sorry if any of you guys are hearing this, but like, think about it from the audience's perspective. We have to see this like we genuinely worry about it sometimes, you know. And so now everyone is driving up to Palm Springs and James and Raquel's like, Palm Springs, here we come. And Raquel's like, Bob Springs, here we come. And then James and Tom, um, like, uh, <laughs> James and Tom, they pull up to the rental already and they're like, oh, I can't believe we're here. And um, DJ James Kennedy sees the house. He's like, whoa. And Ariana's like, oh, it's so hot. Why am I wearing leather pants? And uh, they come in. It's one of those massive Palm Springs house. And I got to tell you, that's what Palm Springs does better than any place in the world. Their houses, when it during the summer, it is just so amazing. And um, they're like, TJ's like, it's better than I thought. It's way better than I thought. And Ariana says, um, James and Raquel should get a really good room. And then Katie's like, Ugh, Tom, are we going to have to stay in a little bed? And Tom's like, when it comes to travel, Katie like wants first class. And Katie's like, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain. And then we get to their room and it genuinely is a tiny bed. And her eyes like start watering, not because she's crying, but it's like, like everything is going wrong all at once. And Tom is such a dork. He's like, I am so happy. This is amazing. And he like hops on the bed. He's like, Bubba, this is great. And it's like really genuinely a tiny bed. Charlie, we see is trying to lug in her own suitcase. Uh, we have a new scene and Raquel goes, thanks for planning this. It's really very nice. And then in a new scene, James says, let's meet in the kitchen, everybody. Okay. Sheena and Brock are coming with Randall and Lala at seven. Randall and Lala are staying a couple houses away. Then we cut to that house a couple of houses away and Lala gets a phone call and she's like, it's late. Like, hi, Lala. I'm calling to give you some news from your book company. Unfortunately, you didn't make the New York Times bestseller list. And Lala immediately starts tearing up. She's like, oh, you know, that's crazy. I had a feeling I wouldn't. And then you get to sense the lady go click. Um, but no, she says, she's like, I put my heart and soul in this book. And the lady's like, you should be really happy about the effort. And um, and by the way, you really should be happy about the effort. You did a fucking book like, damn, that just that's here forever. And Lala's like, thanks 
for making my dream come true of being a published author. I just feel extremely rejected right now. Randall says, ah, you know, babe, I need to let you know. <laughs> I got a big cake. I got a big cake to celebrate it. And she's like, please say it doesn't say New York Times bestseller. And he goes, it did. It did, but now it doesn't. I called ahead and I was like, you know, I didn't want to have to scrape all that icing off. And he's he's laughing. And I got to tell you, once again, Ram the Man does it. He's like, makes it kind of a fun, funny moment of her failing. You know, like, ah! <laughs> her failing according to law law standards, not failing according to book standards. And she's like, that would have pushed me over the fucking head. And now to a new scene, we're toasting at the other house. Charlie, and by the way, did anybody else catch this? I bet you didn't because you're not psychotic like I am. Schwartz goes, Charlie, and I think he uses the voice in that um, that video on YouTube of like, Charlie bit my finger. Like, I swear to God, Schwartz was doing the Charlie in with Charlie Burnett. I, I got to ask Charlie if that's the case or not, because it was a very small moment, but it sounded exactly like the voice. And that sounds like something Schwartz would do. Like, Charlie bit my thumb. So uh, Charlie introduces us to Buffy, a new character, and that is her esthetician face that she has been getting her esthetician uh, license at school. And she's like, Buffy, this cute little bitch doll head. I decided to bring her, reward her with a trip to Palm Springs after class. And she's like, you guys, look at it. You can like actually put it on. And it's really funny. And in a talking head, she holds up the face to her face. It's really cute. And Raquel is fake throwing up about Buffy in a talking head. She's like, if this reflects anything she's learned in school, uh, uh, girl, you're not going to touch these brows. And then Tom says, tonight's theme is off the runway fashion show. It's great. It's like fashion shows off the runways of Milan or my closet. And then we see pictures of him back in the day modeling in Milan. And Tom's always just been Tom. And then James goes, tomorrow we're going to have a pickleball championship. What the fuck is up with pickleball? Honestly, we had pickleball in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. We have pickleball in Vanderpump Rules. Is there some big fucking pickleball tournament that Bravo is like bought money, is stock in? Like, we, there's no... Un, there's no reason we should be hearing pickleball this much lately. Something is afoot, and I am damned if I'm not going to get to the bottom of it. I probably won't do any work to get to the bottom of it, but if somebody can get to the bottom of it for me, why all of a sudden I've never heard about pickleball in my life until this year, and it's thanks to Bravo. What the fuck is going on? And Ariana looks it up and is like, paddleball is badminton, table tennis, and tennis all rolled to one. And Ariana says, sounds like it's for old people, which it is, because realize that Beverly Hills has it and they drink hot toddies. And then, then the next day is a mini Coachella. Let's have a good time, DJ James Kennedy says. They're all doing a montage of hopping in pools, doing dances around the pool. They're playing cornhole. Tom Schwartz is in the pool going... Good vibes, high frequency right now. And then everyone's like, yeah, good vibes. And Schwartz says, until Lala gets here. And and Schwartz is like, come on, Ariana, though. It says, like, I think there's good enough things to fight for with that relationship. Am I wrong? And Charlie says, you know, you got to pick a lane, though. Like, are you a bait? Like, did you just have a baby, but you're still going to be an asshole? Pick a lane. And Charlie goes, I've dealt with girls like Lala before. I grew up in Barstow. And let me tell you, I have had a gun put to my head before so i know gangsters and lala is not one trust me when i say that 
And you guys, she said it so matter-of-factly that you're like, damn, there was no braggadociousness in there. There was no, look at me, I've been around real gangsters. There was This was factual. This put a chill up my spine of like, zooks. Like, I, I, my butt puckered. I was like, this is, that's intense. That was intense. And it must have felt, if Lala watches this, I hope it makes her feel like a damn fool. Because, yeah, at a certain point, it's fun to call yourself a gangster in your 20s, but like... You got a gangster quote unquote spirit, but like there are actual people that are gangsters and, you know, people that actually try to live that life. And it's fucking scary as shit. And you probably should be very thankful that you're not one, you know? And Raquel says, she said she'll direct her rage at Charlie. Please do that. Not me. So we're in a new scene. James is, they're all dressing for this big fashion, Joe. And James is like, I'll get my jacket and my headband on. And him and Raquel are in robes. Schwartz and Katie are trying to put on their clothes. We go to Ariana in Tom's room. Ariana is in green. Tom is in some kind of mesh outfit where we can see his nipples. James comes out in the kitchen in a skirt, like a Scottish, Scottish skirt without undies, he says. Lala finally comes in. And Tom, uh, DJ James Kennedy's like, Congrats, Lala, on your book. I hear you're in the running for the New York Times bestseller list. Which is just funny if they the crew knew that she didn't get it and the crew was like hey congratulate her on the new york times bestseller list that would just be super shitty and lala goes i didn't actually make the list but i'm proud where is katie by the way and schwartz says to randall because he's in black shirt and jeans like he always well wears and schwartz goes you're like zuckerberg and you can like wear the same thing every day i want to get like that someday and uh Randall goes, <laughs> yeah, short. We have to talk about your business. Basically, these guys, they would not let me invest in their bar. Schwartz is doing the Schwartz shuffle to me again. And that's where we get the title of the episode. There's a flashback to Katie. And uh, we see him telling Randall and Lala that it's going to be Tom, me, Tom, Tom's mom. And they didn't want to bring anybody else on as investors. And... He, Randall's like, the classic Schwartz shuffle. Brox and Sheena come in. Brox in a full, colorful samurai outfit. And Sheena says, ja- <laughs> Brock is a jack of all trades. He can cook, he can clean, he can sew. I'm not sure if he can hang a TV in seven minutes, but I can guarantee he'll try. And Brock's like, yeah, I'll try. I'll do it. I'll try for you, Sheena. And Kata, Katie comes out in this kind of purple stole Tom says, okay, we're going to give numbers out. And Tom's like, I'm going to go first. And James goes, ladies and gentlemen, for your fluent pleasure, Tom Sandoval. And Tom comes out strutting. He has this umbrella hat on the back of his head and a spray bottle that he's spraying. And he's like, good thing I brought protection. And then he has the rainbow, the umbrella hat that, I don't know. He, and then he gives himself a 10. And then Sandoval goes, okay, let me introduce Brockotomy. And then Brock comes out. He gets a 9.8. Then Miss Katie Maloney. She gets a 9.785. Sheena. And Sheena just whips her braid, which is all we really want to see anyways. And they give her like a 9.76897823. And she's like, I'm just going to sashay Shantae. What is it called? Um, I got the boobs and I'm just trying to show them off right now. And... Then he's like, it's the new line by Ariana Maddox. We call it the Dumplin' 9.9. And then we go, we have Charlie now to show us her leg slit. She's in a black dress and glasses. And Tom in a talking head goes, I don't know if she got the full commitment. As RuPaul would say, she went from trying to be smashing tonight to high fashion tonight. And then 
Sandoval's like, the world asks us to give us something. And what did he do? Give them Lala. And Lala comes out in her black swig swimsuit with her um, boobs and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, Sheena's like, look, I just gave birth to a human, but I will, I'm going to, I miss my itty bitty tiny waist and I, I can't wait to give it back. And unless you're Lala and you already have it back. And then Raquel Levis is in brown leather, um, with, you know, rocking those hips, Sandoval says. And then James says, how hot is my girlfriend? And she's no clue. She's about to become the first DJ James Kennedy. Let's go. Which the funny thing is, he said first DJ James Kennedy, which is just funny. And James Kennedy is next. He has a skirt. He has a blindfold and a jacket without a shirt on. And he has, he's like about to fall into the jacuzzi. And they're like, no, DJ James Kennedy, no. But he has a blindfold on. And then um, he doesn't fall in. Spoiler alert. And then instead of I was like, ladies and gentlemen, not just an actor, not just a model. He's a actor. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Schwartz. And then Tom just is in like an oversized T-shirt and just jumps in the pool. And then Katie's like, only Sandoval would come up with a contest tailored to him. He picks uh he picks himself as a contestant, a host, and a judge. I wonder who's going to win. And then DJ James Kennedy goes, the winner is DJ. The winner is Tom Sandoval. And then Schwartz is just still in the pool looking. And then we cut to Schwartz just looking at the pool. Just sadly, sadly in the pool. <laughs> so we're in a new scene and we're back in the house and Lala is showing Katie her cake and telling Katie that I, uh, I was three months pregnant for this book cover shoot. And Katie's like, right, that's great. And Katie's like, do you feel good about being here? And have you said anything to Ariana? And Katie goes, I think you guys are coming from two separate places, two different places. You're coming from a more nuanced perspective. And, Ariana is coming from a, I thought we were cool perspective. Now I personally don't, if we, I don't, I think that's Katie giving Lala a lot of credit. I don't know how you would call that a more nuanced perspective. Come on. Like, I mean, I really think that's giving her a lot of credit. Um, because I'm like, no new nuance. Like she just, I, I just, I, maybe I'm, don't even know if we know all know what nuance mean, but I just didn't think this was it. And Katie goes on to though clarify and says, uh, you know, they're both coming from a place where they're both right because they feel a certain way, but they're both wrong for being mad at the other for having feelings. Now, this actually made sense for me. So Katie kind of saved it in her talking head. And then Lala's like, oh, she was quite steady bobbing, you know, and then Charlie over there, Charlie's going, you hurt Ariana's feelings. And Lala's like, I just can't. It is always interesting when we're the underdog and then we start to get popular or have the popular kids like us, how we never remember what it was like to be the underdog. It seems like we always just forget and I think that's just really bizarre. So anyways, the food gets here and uh, it's tacos. I was like, yeah, tacos. And Charlie goes to the fridge and she's like, that food looks gross. Uh. And I know this is the point where everybody was like, uh, Charlie, is Charlie being weird about food? And like, but the thing is, Charlie talks about it. This is, you know. It's a good lesson to me of like, just don't judge everything by its cover. There's got to be a reason. Like, yeah, there's got to be a reason she doesn't like. Like if she's, she says she's going to go make a sandwich, there's a reason behind that. And we go, we find that out. But it is interesting is that how quick, mainly myself, we are to jump to these conclusions. And 
Randall is talking to Schwartz and DJ James Kennedy. Uh, no, sorry. Randall's outside talking to Sandoval and Schwartz, and all these guys are gathered around eating their tacos outside. And Randall goes, I have a question. I have a question. Um, you know, about the bar, if I was allowed to invest. And Lala goes, they don't want you to invest, Randall. And Randall goes, <laughs> yeah, because Schwartz is giving me the Schwartz shuffle. And then he goes, Rand- he goes Randall goes, yo, Schwartz, do you even know where the bar is? And Schwartz is like, I'm not good at the, uh, uh, I'm not uh, good at this. And uh, Randall goes, I don't think you're even involved in the concept for the bar. How about that? And Sandoval goes, ah, you know, Sandoval's like, and also Randall, we, you know, we don't want you to invest because my mom and my stepdad said that they don't want any other investors, which is like, I'm like, what? Your mom and your step, but it's cool. Like, I, I, I think the way they'll make money is, of course, not to take on a lot of investors. Of course, that's how you make a lot of money. Because, you know, there are usually so many investors in any kind of L.A. bar that the money – when I used to run a nightclub, we had so many investors. And you really don't see money unless that place lasts for years and years and years. And that's very hard to do. So um, now we're in a talking out with Schwartz. And the producer goes, hey, Tom, what is the concept of the bar? And Tom's like, oh, okay, okay, uh, <laughs> okay. Don't do this to me. Uh, don't, 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 don't do this to me. It's, uh, you know what? It's not, ah, uh, oh God, oh God. And he just obviously doesn't know it. And I was curious, I would be curious if we asked Schwartz what the concept for Tom Tom is, if he would even know it now, years later. And, uh, Randall goes, you should never, Sandoval, you should never bring Schwartz to a meeting with you. Never. And Lala goes to Katie, do you feel like he's being mean to your man? Do you want me to tell him to shut up? Which I think is funny that Lala kind of controls Randall. Like we all, somebody's the boss of all of us at some point. And Katie goes, no, he can handle himself. And a talking head, Katie goes, yeah, I wish Schwartz could be a little more assertive. I wish he could have like more uh, confidence talking about something that he obviously cares a lot about. And Sandoval goes, um, uh, sorry, Randall goes to Sandoval. I'm really proud of you, Sandoval. And Sandoval goes, thanks, man. And if I, if we ever need help, you know, if we, if something ever happens, we'll come to you. And Randall goes, great. Yeah, that's great. Uh-huh. And Lala goes to DJ James Kennedy. Hey, are you ever going to come back and DJ at Sir? And DJ James Kennedy goes, oh man, we got into an argument, me and Max, you know, or lost it. or lost, I had a slip up with Max. You remember that DJ James Kennedy texted uh, Max, you're fat and no one likes you. Come outside, you fat prick, fat, fat, fatty. And uh, then DJ James Kennedy goes into his old song and dance routine of, uh, you know, things got heated very quickly. It disrespected Lisa's son and uh, I can't go back to sir, you know. Uh, I had a test and I failed and now I can't come back from that, that you know. And they're talking head is Raquel and DJ James Kennedy. And this is... Kind of sad. He's like, you know, oh, I don't want to always be the problem bringing Raquel down, you know. And Raquel says, it reflects badly on me. I could be the kindest, sweetest person. But they will always say her boyfriend's a little mental. And uh, we go back to the scene and Schwartz goes, ah, oh, DJ Dems Kennedy, you've made leaps and browns, leaps and bounds, brother. And Santa goes, yes, every single one of us has been there, dude. And Lala goes, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I want to clarify real quick. Everyone's saying, oh, things happen. And then there are all these things that happen. But when I act like that, I don't get the same response. I acted like that to Raquel last year and everyone, including my own friend, said, you need to be muzzled and go back in your cage. Which, by the way, Lala, no, they didn't say you need to be muzzled and go back to your cage, doofus. They just said, be quiet. Don't be this extreme. They didn't say get back in your cage. You're the one that makes dog fighting examples. Come on. And then Lala goes, the way you acted at Sheena's birthday was disgusting to Ariana. And how in the world is then Charlie going to say, oh, you hurt Ariana's feelings. I'm confused, Lala says. And Charlie says, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I'm backing up Ariana, I'm backing up what I'm seeing. I'm not basing it on the last five years. I don't care what you guys have done. Which is, by the way, I really got to say, that's really how more things should be. Base things on what actually happened and not your whole relationship with somebody. And that's where everybody gets in themselves into trouble because everybody's looking of like, you should be mad at him because I'm mad at him. Bullshit. Do you know how many, like, I know one person in particular that have spread lie, like just flat out lies about me that people have like, and then like have bullied people into like not. And I think that's so bullshit. I think it is bullshit because they never actually like, what do you want? Like they never actually want to hear the actual story. Like that would be too. And I think that's so bullshit. Like go by how your experience is with somebody and go what, what you see with your two eyes and not just what somebody tells you because they want you to side with them. I, this heated, this got me heated. And Charlie, I thought was perfect. was like, yeah, I stood up for Ariana because you were being a prick to her. And Lala goes, well, then you have no skin in this game, baby. And Charlie's like, what? What do you mean? I don't have any skin. I'm still here at this fucking table. And Lala goes, I see you, Charlie. And Charlie goes, I have to say what I want to say. You're not the only one who has to say things, Lala. Explain it to me. And she goes, Lala goes, well, let me be specific, bitch. And then Charlie goes, don't call me a fucking bitch, bitch. If you want to play this fucking game, bitch, we can play this fucking game. And I was like, holy shit. And Lala goes, oh, oh, okay, enough. And Charlie goes, don't tell me enough. And then Charlie goes, there is one person you can't fucking play with, and that's fucking me. And Randall, there's a real quick shot of Randall, and you can see he just got the biggest boner he ever got in his life. He was like, Zoiks, who's this Charlie? <laughs> hey, I've got a movie called The Vow, too, if you'd like to star in it. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, but like that, I'm sure, was very like, it, it's like uh, like how nobody sticks up with it to Erica Jane. Like, I need to get Charlie in with the Beverly Hills. And Charlie needs to hang out with Sutton. I'm like, I'll say, I'll say, I, I got questions, Erica Jane. And Charlie's like, I got some fucking questions, too. So why don't you shut your fucking mouth, bitch? And just what you want. We want to answer some things about EJ Global. How about that? Sit down. Like, that's who we need. We need, like, come on. This is what I'm talking about. Somebody that's like, I don't care what you say. You can't do that to me. No, no, no. And uh, Lala goes, oh, wow. Check yourself. Charlie goes and Lala goes, she sounds a lot like me. This is how you get people's respect, by the way. And Charlie goes, I've been really nice to everyone in this group, even when you haven't been nice to me, Lala. Lala goes, I've been nice to you. And she goes, oh, that is not true, Lala. That is not true. Charlie goes, she goes, Charlie, I've never been mean to you. And Charlie goes, you called me a moron before I ever met you online because of the pasta comment. You know, and Lala's like, well, you said pasta is like maybe the reason why everyone gains weight. And then Charlie goes, if everyone wants to know the real reason I don't eat pasta, we can do it right now. And by the way, I want to point out once again, 
Charlie did the podcast over a year ago. You can search it online and she lets us know towards the end of the interview what actually happened. None of us had any idea and it's fucking intense, you guys. In a talking head, she goes, ever since I was a little girl, I've always had issues with food. And there's a flashback of that trip where she's getting made fun of for making a sandwich of PP and J. And she goes, don't make fun of me. I'll cry. And she said, the only way when I was a kid to get out of a situation was to eat a PB and J because everyone has, you know, peanut butter and jelly at their house or peanut bread. And Brock goes, you don't have to explain it to them, Charlie. And Brick kind of pulls her away. And Charlie goes, no, I didn't come in here and tell you all my family trauma, but there is a reason for this. And at a talking head, she goes, there were certain foods I was forced to eat. And if I didn't, there was a punishment involved. And she's crying at this point. She's like, it just wasn't, I just wasn't normal like other kids, like where you would just have to get sent to your room or you can't have dessert. But my punishment was more intense and not easy to deal with. And when you're a little girl... And Lala is like, I didn't know, Charlie, but you still made statements about it, Lala, she said. You were all assholes. And when you guys were assholes, I was still fucking nice to you. I'll tell you, this star is born right here, folks. And Charlie goes, when people bother me about my food choices, I go right back to that four-year-old little girl, anxious and not in control. And Lala says, I should know... I should know she can't eat pasta for a certain reason. Good God. Because Charlie's went inside now and Sheena's following her. Rand is just watching. <laughs> I wonder how many times Rand's just watching Lala pop off. So Sheena takes Charlie in and Charlie's like, you can't call people names at, and then just expect things to be cool. And Lala comes in after Charlie. I go, I'm not a mind reader, Charlie. This group has to stop thinking we all know everything. And Charlie goes, well, get to know me then. Don't make assumptions. You know? Understand why I made that statement and calling me a dumb bitch. And Lala goes, bitch flies out of my mouth like I need a Perrier. Which is like, what? What? That's just a phrase that flies out of your mouth too? How many? What? And she goes, I can't promise that I'll never call you a bitch again. And Lala goes, bitch is the best word ever. And then we get a super cut of Lala saying bitch like 30 times. She really does say it a lot. It really does seem, she, I will say she really does seem like she likes it. It's a lot of bitches. Um. And Lala goes, it's a lot how you deliver the word bitch. And that's what I love about it. And Charlie says, well, I feel like that we would relate more on things than disrelate. And I'm like, Charlie, I don't even know what disrelate. Is that a word? And Charlie goes, okay, Lala, I'll give you a hug, even though I'm not a big hugger. And Lala goes, I am a big hugger. And Charlie goes, well, this friendship will never work. And uh, it was it was a cute little moment. And then next, that's the end of the episode. Next episode, we get our Ch- Ra- Raquel, where he proposes. And then we find out that Brock hasn't seen, I haven't seen my kids in four years. Remember, he has a family across the seas, but he supposedly can't see them or is not allowed to see them. And you can see Randall is shocked about this. And um, then there's like this little sweet scene that I'm really curious about where Raquel and DJ James Kennedy are having dinner of some sort. And Raquel goes, are you not embarrassed by me? And she's like, I'm like, Raquel, DJ James. She asked DJ James Kennedy if she, if he is embarrassed by her. And it's like, girl, no, he is the one that embarrasses you nonstop. And that broke my heart because, uh, you know, I'll make fun of Raquel and like her shaky voice and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I want to make it clear. She's, she kind of seems like an angel. She's never really wavered. She's not a jerk. She's insecure like the rest of us. And, um, 
you know, we laugh at all these people, or I laugh at all these people, but like, she does seem like she has a good heart. So I'm very curious to see that scene. But you guys, what a supersized episode today. Emily D. Baker, this, I mean, I, I, I really hope you like this. I really hope you appreciate it. Let me know if you want me, want me to keep doing the Vanderpump uh, recaps. If you want more recaps, go to the Patreon, and I will talk to you on Tuesday with Sophie Ross. Have a great week, you guys. I hope you have a great week. Bye. Betches.